people of Earth, if you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animated chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the letter F in your dictionary and add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, baby. Listen up, fanboy. It's the Fanboy Planet Podcast. Happy New Year, and here's your host for the next 365 days, Derek McCaw. Will I expire? What no, you renew. What do you know you that renew. I don't know? I think I'm on auto-renewal. <laughs> you have to go on the, si- <laughs> on the like carousel. Sort of and... like my... Nor- no, no. Yeah. I'm not an athletic competition. I'm going to be a mess. You just float. <laughs> I do now. Uh, so, yes, we. Uh, this is Derek McCaw, Editor-in-Chief of FanboyPlanet.com, and uh, we are one man down uh, because you got the, you know, what they say with new parents and, and the first baby's first Christmas is like the creeping Christmas crud or something. Baby crud. I actually blame Ben. Uh, ben Costa, because <laughs> you know. Ben was sick on Saturday. I didn't see Ben. I, I saw him back he, in there. Because he was he staying was, away. He was staying away. And he, he was, was hovering com- by the food. He, I know. <laughs> so that's why I stopped getting the food when I realized that's where Ben was. Um, he greeted me by going, Ugh! it was the most animated I'd seen Ben. <laughs> and ironically, he was like near death. Yeah. Uh, I were talking about Ben Costa, who is the artist of... of uh, Pong the Wandering Monk and uh, Rickety Stitch Rickety and the Gelatinous Cube. Gelatinous Cube. Gelatinous Cube. What's in that lemonade? We got to work on your enunciation. Yeah, today. it's just. Anyway, didn't across, do my vocal exercises. across from me. So we don't have Nate Costa today because he is ill, but we do have across the podcast producer and literal host because we're here in the Brett Cave. Very well lit for winter because we are actually in the day because yes. it's January 1st. Yes. Uh, that's. Uh, my cue. Yes. Rick Brett Snyder. No, that's right. We're you kept little, going on and on. I know. We're, we're, our rhythm's off without Nate. To, they're going, it is. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. our metronome. Kind of is. And uh, anyway, we are podcasting on New Year's Day. So it's the first day of 2015. And uh, I want to say that, you know, if uh, I, I saw some people bitterly posting, like, you know, the stupidest joke in the world is that see you next year or I haven't seen you since last year. And I just want to say, put it in perspective. If you're 10, as my son was, yeah. is... Uh, that's the funniest joke in the world. So if let that's it the stupidest joke you've ever heard, you are blessed. Oh, I can tell you dumber ones. <laughs> <laughs> I sadly know many, many more. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it is fun. So, uh, yeah, we are here uh, January 1st, New Year's Day. We hope that everyone had a safe and sane holiday and Indeed. are here, back here. This is always a day of sadness. I don't, one, you know, we're not really going to look back at, like, what was the best of the year? Because I'm not a big fan of that. I like looking forward. I don't really like looking back because it's experience. We talk enough about that. But I will admit that here in the in the Brett Cave, it is sad. We were just discussing before we started that uh, all the Christmas decorations are down here. And well, they're still here. They're just over there on top of boxes. Okay, well, whether I'm lazy or uh, I'm being a good Catholic, you tell me which. Uh, you just hide for yourself. Or don't tell me, please. I don't need Can to you be a lazy Catholic? 
most are. <laughs> so, uh, well, good. I think I've offended. Uh, <laughs> wow, I'm off to a start. We have you a tally board behind you. <laughs> How many groups have we offended uh, by the first day of 2015? I'm off to a running start. Anyway, you know, I we I still have all mine up because I, I do I do get sad. It's like oh, you know, when Christmas goes goes away, that it's sort of like oh, what a bummer. So, anyway. Uh, but that's all right because we have so much to look forward to, and it just means that I have. Can you do the math here? Twenty five to seven days. We have three hundred and fifty eight days to get ready for next Christmas. Well, here we are. No, it, it, it is uh, January first. Uh, we've got we've got three hundred and fifty eight days to get ready for Christmas two thousand fifteen. Yes. So we're not going to offer a gift guide for that quite yet because it might be a little <laughs> premature. Yeah. But some of the things we're going to talk about today as we look as we look forward because that's where I prefer to be on January 1st is like, well, what are we going to look which this is a podcast that always is. What's coming? Mm-hmm. What's going to be exciting? Mm-hmm. And then in 2015, I think there are some stories that have cropped up in the last couple of weeks that maybe people haven't paid as much attention to. And if they come to fruition, there's going to be some pretty big impact in 2015. Things are going to change uh, in some very, very interesting ways. So let us start. We've got comics news. Of course, that's the big thing. We've got movie news. 2015 is going to be an insane year for movies. We've got television news. And we've got some video game news, too, because I think the world is about to change in video games. Mm. And... um, and I, and I probably mentioned it before, but uh, you know it's worth saying, emphasizing again that it's about to. Because I saw another article reminding me it's about to change. But let us talk with one uh, about one story <coughs> that is going to, I think, encompass all of it, everything that we like at at Fanboy Planet that we tra- that we tend to come in. Because don't uh, don't get me wrong, we have many many interests that have nothing to do with what sta- what becomes standard nerdistry, perhaps or nerditry uh, that uh, you know we don't talk about. It's, it's okay. I'm just saying, you know, we, we really don't like talk about 19th century realist literature or uh, unless they add lasers and zombies to it. So, um, and they haven't done that since hopefully the Pride and Prejudice and Zombies craze is pretty much over. Oh, the movie's coming. <sighs> That's right. In 2015. I'm looking forward to that. Actually, it looks it pretty cool. Pretty it might be pretty good. It, it actually might be pretty good. But let's talk about the big story, which is... Um, you know, I think we mentioned about three or four months ago that Rupert Murdoch, who owns the corporation, which I don't think is actually, is it called Fox or is it, it's Newsday? I think it's Newsday Corporation. That, owns Fox. That uh, I, I could be wrong and someone yeah. could correct me on that. But if you do, please put, give me context. I'm going to have to teach people. I was getting a tweet yesterday uh, from Louis Stone Cologne, who listens to the podcast and, 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 and can tweet, uh, not tweet, uh, he texts, can text me. And so he texted just out of the blue, Benjamin Franklin was not a deist. Jonathan, <laughs> Thomas Jefferson and George Washington probably were. John Adams definitely wasn't. And right. I was like, wait a minute. What? What are we talking about? Oh, you're listening to uh, the podcast right now that I recorded a week ago. So uh, give me context. That's all I ask. But uh, anyway. Uh, he's he's the chairman and CEO and founder of News Corporation. It's News Corporation, yeah. not Newsday. I think I think Newsday which was which owns like, uh, twenty fifth. No, 21st I, I know Fox what they I know what they own. I couldn't remember if News it was it. most people. Most articles reference it as Fox. You know, the headlines always end up being it's Fox. It's Fox. Yeah, and it is. But I just want to be specific. That, it's under the umbrella, so you don't necessarily with, have to. Let's go with do the Rupert Murdoch. Let's call him Rupert Murdoch. Rupert. That's his name. Rupert. Mister Fox. Rupert. We'll call him Rupee. It, it makes him seem cuter. Rupee. 
That sounds cute. Rupee. <laughs> I got rupeed. Hi. Oh, dear God. Okay. Anyway, uh, so he made a bid for War- Time Warner uh, a few months ago and failed to do a takeover, which would have then put Fox and and, yeah. and Warner Brothers together. And then people were, uh, how I discovered that thing had happened was because on Facebook people are going, we almost had our Wolverine Superman crossover. I'm like, well, I don't want that yeah. uh, necessarily and you know, because I get nervous about uh, fewer and fewer companies yes. controlling all our IPs. Yeah. Um, and so this story that cropped up, which no matter what happens is, um, things are going to change in 2015 because the efforts to take over Time Warner are not over. And there have been a lot of articles, and if you're into this sort of thing, you may have noticed a lot of articles complaining about movie making, how even when we ran about the announcements of all the, the Warner Brothers DC and franchise slates, was how um, the president of of uh, Warner Brothers Studios had posited it as these are franchises, these are tent poles, these are going to save the studio. That it's that, and a lot of articles have been cropping up in the last month or so about how all movie making, all studio thinking is all these big franchises. And I'm sure you've seen a lot of movies in this past couple of months. And really, I started. I, I've really started noticing since Pacific Rim. Um, that there, there's not a lot of nuance in dialogue. Everything's pretty on the nose because it's easily translatable then to right. be a, a larger thing, and then it won't date itself quite as much. Uh, or if you know, if you're Michael Bay making Transformers: Age of Extinction, dialogue is beside the point. Uh, you know, things the, blow up. I believe that Aaron Kruger, Kruger is not an actual screenwriter, but a hundred monkeys at a hundred <laughs> word processors. Uh, so because that's how. You know, pointless screenplay writing is for, for should be for closer to Shakespeare. Then you're right. That was the flaw in my hypothesis. <laughs> <laughs> Thou hast cut me to the quick, <laughs> and indeed speared my very core. Thank you. And uh, so, anyway, to get back to that is that we know it's flattening out, and and it is all about the concept. It's not about necessarily the brilliance of the of the actual filmmaking. Though sometimes I do think that. It combines the great art, like the Lego movie. I don't know if Lego Movie 2 or Lego Batman full length will be a movie worthwhile, but the Lego movie itself was fun, was well done. Skewers, the very thing that it embraces at the same time. It was a very bizarre thing. Uh, and a lot, and some, not a lot. Some people didn't like that. That's okay. We're all welcome to our opinions, but you're listening to this because you wanted to hear ours. So uh, we say that. But um, anyway, in this effort to get IP control... Time Warner is struggling, and we don't necessarily see it as an average consumer. We're reading DC Comics. They seem strong. We're buying action figures. They seem strong. Uh, but as an overall company and their value to shareholders, it's it's been on shakier ground for the last couple of years. Um, anyway, so it looks like the Chinese firm that owns, that has bought into, I'm not sure if they outright own or they're just the majority stakeholders now in the AMC theater chain, mm-hmm. are first in line now getting together their resources to make a bid for Time Warner. Wow. The Hollywood Reporter ran this article, I think, two weeks ago. That is interesting. And, yes, I understand when you when you look at China still is, and I go back to Transformers Age of Extinction, which, by the way, is the number one in Chinese, film in Chinese box office history, uh, and made as people, uh, apparently Age of Extinction did not do particularly well in America, but it made over $1 billion worldwide. And a lot of that money was made in uh, the Asian market. So it does make sense as 
as the entertainment industry is booming uh, and the importing of I- entertainment is booming in China that uh, there would be a corporation looking at trying to It's the control- Delane Wanda Group. Delane Wanda. Thank you for looking at it. Delane, D-A-L-A-I-N. You are filling in the Nate Costa role very well today. I put the computer out here for just that purpose. (laughs) Excellent. So... Anyway, if they take over that, if they take over Time Warner, then that means actually this is a bad thing because what we have seen in the 21st century in particular, and some people don't think this is a big deal, I do. Once upon a time, studios owned theaters, and mm-hmm. that was broken up, and that was considered an that was considered a trust violation. Right. In the 21st century, especially when we've seen all this media and there's so much lobbying uh, and IP and, you know, copyright law has been extended because there are people lobbying and so forth, there has not been a lot of defense of the consumer as far as trust, you know, trust busting, if you will, goes. So I don't think it's necessarily a great move. It might seem like really cool at first, but it's not a great move in the long term that AMC would own – could own a movie studio of its own. Just as I don't think it's great, and this is why I know they didn't trust, one of the one of the least competent as far as customer service companies in the world, Comcast, you know, now owns Universal and NBC. So a means to provide content and and they're not very good at it. I mean, let me you know that's a separate wine on my part at home, which I'll probably take offline with Rick because I, I need some advice. Uh, is you know when you, like when something goes wrong with Comcast, you've got like four points where it might have actually gone wrong, and you don't know which thing to troubleshoot first. Maybe uh, more, maybe more actually. <laughs> maybe more. And it, and the trouble's not actually at Universal Studios uh, no. or, or NBC. <laughs> no. But anyway, but that happened. Nobody nobody said boo. So you know that that that's bad. AMC owning Warner is. Yeah, uh, would would be I think I'd say cool at first, problematic in the long run. Now is I don't know the ranking of the various studio uh, of the various theater chains, but AMC's got to be up there as far as AMC's huge and it's international and that's why that yeah. that Chinese firm bought it. Um, but uh, and look, and I don't know where because Regal Theater Groups they were very big with that interview uh, when there was they were the first group that said theater chain that said they wouldn't show the interview. Um, Regal's not big here right now in but California it, or it, the no, US? It's in the in the Bay Area. It's Bay Area. not big right here, but I think there are places in the country, and I think if you go down to L.A., it's definitely making a lot more inroads. I'm not. I think they own. No, ArcLight owns the Cinerama Dome, uh-huh. um, but ArcLight's another one coming up. But AMC, I think, is the big uh, and the Century. They would. certainly in in our neck of the woods, they have the most big multiplexes. AMC is where I go the most. I think honestly, AMC at this point is giving a better customer service as far as like with their car, with their card and you know the rewards mm-hmm. program. And I'm going to be honest. That's why I choose certain theaters right now. Is like, can I afford to go? Uh, and am I going to get some little bonus for going and spending the money that I probably would anyway? But you're going to reward me a little bit. Yeah. Great, you know. Yeah. So, um, and it's just the most convenient from where I live. So I'm not saying I love one more or the other. But anyway, 
basically a company that has both its means of distribution and its means of production in one thing is a little dangerous. I mean, and Sony is struggling because I think offline we were talking about maybe it was Sony that Sony is struggling. We know that for a lot of different reasons right now, but there it is a hardware company that owns a content company and that can't make the content that people want. Uh, and they're just not hitting and they're flailing, you know? So this is, this is one of the downsides to it. But what's interesting in the Hollywood reporter article, and this is where I say, if AMC fail, or it's not AMC, but the company that owns AMC fails to take over Warner brothers, the next in line will win. There is no question in my mind that they will win. They have the best lawyers. They have the best lobbyists. And we need to just be aware of it. Because, you know, there's nothing that a podcast can do to say no. Because, again, on the other hand, there's a part of me that goes, well, there could be be some cool cool things. (laughs) And so what it is that the second in line is Disney. And if Disney took Warner, took over Warner... Let's just imagine the possibility that we wouldn't see the ramifications, but in 2015, this could happen at least legally. The movement could be made. This could happen. This impacts comics. But as, if I may step in for the brain of Nate Costa for a moment, as he's pointed out, Disney, unlike a lot of these other companies, has been very good at letting successful companies they buy remain being the successful companies that they were interested in. Chart their own creativity. The only thing where I really feel like we've seen um, a little bit of interference from Disney with Marvel has been... Big Hero 6. Is Big Hero 6. Don't reprint Big Hero 6 because now we have another version of it, which totally makes sense because let's also face it, the Disney version of Big Hero 6 has a lot more potential. You know, that's a super team that's lost within the larger X universe. I kind of disagree a bit. I I think... If you if you're talking about, we don't want to reprint that because we don't want to confuse the consumer. Mm-hmm. But it's just one item. You're talking about one graphic novel. No, we're not. Uh, uh, They've the been Big around. Hero for, 6? Big Hero Six has been has three different um, storylines. Okay. Yeah, different but they're not, the first one. I've I've looked them up on the Marvel right. Unlimited. I've read read them. They're not that long. It's you could put them all. No, I understand basically. what you're saying, but and it did a change. But, but I think what Disney does. That is different from what Warner Brothers has, you know, because we've talked about this, how like Warner Brothers has a very, um, uh, which, you know, Starfire is one thing where she is this um, very hypersexualized, and you can defend her as an alien, whatever, version that's floating around in, in from Red, Hood. Red Hood and the Outlaws. Yeah. Uh, then she's this naive teenager on Teen Titans Go where there's all sure. these children watching this. Um Disney has a better grasp on what I would call, for lack of a better phrase, a womb-to-tomb philosophy of their consumers. They want to get them young, and they don't want to—they don't want any conflict. But see, that's where I—that's where I see it as being bad. Okay, that they're—they are by that inhibiting. Um, they're rewriting history, and they're—they're they're interfering with anybody who wants to see the original stuff. And, and which any other they're going to make I think they, this is they a moment would, I want to say Jonah Hex was adapted into a live action film just to remind you yeah of a man who, did, who <laughs> hates re, who he's now saying he hates rewriting history uh, <laughs> well I mean uh, there, there are a lot of movies that have been made in, no, re, I, a lot of, but but the idea that that they are trying to purify it so much when I was going to say, even if it's three books, even if they did a yeah. graphic novel for each one of those versions of it that came before, that's lost in the hundreds of articles and com- uh, uh, comics 
and juvenile books and that 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 are coming out well, and, and the potential that, for confusing people and is th- really quite low and i think the downside to disney management and this is not bob Iger. this has been since i go back to at least the rocketeer and dick tracy yeah um because i think dick tracy came out first uh before the, the movie, rocketeer the movie. The movie yeah definitely and that was an overkill of marketing Mm-hmm. You know, to, for something they didn't know, and you know, uh, notoriously, a lot of those products tanked. The only Dick Tracy thing I own two things. I have a ta- I have a necktie of Dick Tracy, and I have a from the movie f- from the movie, yeah. and I have a figure of Warren Beatty that was repainted as the Green Hornet, which Michael Goodson gave me because he knew that I wanted a Captain Action Green Hornet figure. So I think I have the notorious bum action figure uh, in the, the garage bomb. somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the Hobo Steve yeah. or the Tramp or something. Yeah, the Tramp or the, or the Tramp. Bomb. That's what it's yeah. called, the Tramp. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, then the Rocketeer was like terribly undermarketed. You had an actual superhero right. that kids would have won an action figure, and it really wasn't at that time an official, even an action figure. Um, bubblegum cards, uh, that kind of that kind yeah. of stuff. But it was it was a weird it was a weird marketing thing. So Disney's always had this thing where they are they kind of respond to the press. You know, like I'll go with John Carter. John Carter was labeled a disaster before it came out. Mm-hmm. So Disney took steps to curtail their losses before that movie was even released. Right. Because try to find John Carter stuff. There were some t-shirts. There was a soundtrack album. There is, because believe me, I've tried to find. There were Vinylmations. There were like three in the parks of, there's a Tars Tarkas. Yes. There's a yes. John Carter. And yes. I think there might be a Deja Thoris. Um you had that Wola, the dog would have been like this fantastic toy that kids would enjoy. They didn't do it. Yeah. Because they'd already decided they believed the press, nobody's going to go. So mm-hmm. that's the thing. So Disney reacts to those kinds of things. And they hadn't sunk in. I don't think they've absorbed that there is that part of fandom that separates all these different versions. Because the flip side is Warner Brothers, where DC, it's a later story for me, you know, is you have. Well, like I don't like the I don't like the Starfire thing, those simultaneous things. But you've got Harley Quinn who can exist in several different versions. You've got a TV yes. show, well, Batman uh, and Batman. In many, well, many well, versions. exactly. There's an animated kids yeah. love the animated. There's films that are like right. not appropriate for children. Uh, you know, they get that the character can transcend and people can separate out. Although I will also admit there are many many people in this country who, well, let me put it. I might disagree with their parenting, who. Do not draw that line and are showing five year olds sure, the dark night. Sure. You know, um, I think it's just lazy. They don't. You know. No, and then, and then maybe two. I'm not, I don't want to make a judgment there other than right. to say, like I said at the top, this but, is our opinion, right? And this is this is where I am. Is like I but, kept uh, my son has not seen the Christian Bale films, right? Um, two because to but the first you're not two, a lazy parent. No, I'm not. A, anyway. Well, I might be. Some people say, "Didn't we, was I called lazy by something else?" I'm a lazy Catholic. That's you're right. a lazy Catholic. Uh, yeah, that's that's true. That's totally true. Uh, you know. But anyway, uh, I'm a lazy Buddhist too, and for that matter, probably a lazy Mormon. I, you know, it's it's a lot. A lot of people lay claim to my soul. It takes a lot of effort to, <laughs> to cover be this that much. It's lazy, <laughs> and hopefully, the one person that does not have cl- claim on my soul is Satan. Okay, so let's hope. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, so yeah, you like Rick and I at this table. Fundamentally, I disagree. I'm okay with them shutting down Big Hero Six only because I was so charmed by their Big Hero Six by Disney's version. So the question is, though, if they take over, and then Warner Brothers the studio is left on its own, yeah. uh, 
you know, I, my first reaction was, oh, well, then maybe Kevin Feige and the brain trust over at Marvel Studios could go over and show them how they should be making their DC movies. Um, I don't know if that would happen. And like I said, so I was, I, I am very torn in this, wouldn't it be cool? But then you would have, and why I think DC and Marvel would remain as separate companies as publishers is because Disney has been run, has been, there's that Joe publishers coming with the Disney animated comics are coming down. Yeah. I still haven't quite tracked down. I've heard they're a Canadian imprint now, but um, still not getting a full picture of who they are, but they've got the, they've got a Disney license while Disney has Marvel. They, Disney has not given Marvel very much. Uh, you know, they, I think they may have run an Incredibles thing or reprinted the boom studios stuff. Uh, they had Tron, but they didn't get Space Mountain, even though Space Mountain is written and drawn by people that are like big in the comics industry. Yeah, and which is again where I think, uh, they didn't really appeal to the comics press. Disney, Disney's eye isn't on the specific. I think of like who are the subcultures of fandom. Disney is on eye is on how can we appeal to the broadest audience possible. You know, why they purchased Marvel in the first place. And interesting, the shining star in the Time Warner portfolio for Disney obviously isn't Superman. It isn't Batman. And it it, it isn't DC Comics. It isn't even Harry Potter because technically they don't really, you know, they just license that from J.K. Rowling. She's a good franchise for them. But Universal has the parks because I love this story. You know, that basically the Imagineers... Would uh, that J.K. Rowling, when she was going to to around to see who wanted to build the Harry the Wizarding World, mm-hmm. insisted that she had final creative control, and Universal gave it to her. And so, as much as people you know people are loving all those those Wizarding Worlds, the flow of traffic is so bad. You know, you line up for hours because. Diagon Alley is only as wide as Diagon Alley would actually be. Oh, really? And, you know, so it's all true to the dimensions. What Instead of being like, can you get the most? So there are places where you can only pass through single file. And so... Uh, so is there a... Is it, is it like a rail? Are you only supposed to go one way on each street then? Or? I don't know what they're doing. I no. haven't been yet. Um, okay. But... I say yet. Uh, someday I'll get to Florida and do it. A friend of mine is there right now. Because I think I have a friend who was there who was just there a couple of days ago, and and um, you know the Universal Studios on the West Coast is doing it too, mm-hmm. but there um, there's going to be smaller. It's truncated, and it's still I think two summers away. I think that's the 2016 opening on the West Coast. How many sleeps, Derek? How many sleeps? <laughs> Shush. Uh, seven hundred and thirty. Uh, I, I don't. I, I don't know exactly when they're opening. Jason Salazar and I were there this summer, and we looked at you know the building and went, yeah, okay, that's where it's going to be. But you know, but of course, on the West Coast, Universal is a different yeah. animal because it's stuck on a mountain; it can't expand out the way you can in Florida. So, or I guess in Osaka, you know, because there's Universal Studios there. Um, <clears throat> but it also brings ah, you know, something else just came into my head with this. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, I'm giving more weight to this Hollywood Reporter story because I pick up these little minor things that some people don't. Disney and Turner Classic Movies, which is a Warner-owned network, um, have licensed to take over, uh, Turner Classic Movies to take over the great movie ride in Orlando in the Disney, what was used to be the Disney MGM 
Hollywood Studios. Yeah. Now it's the TCM or it's just Hollywood Backlot or something oh, really? like that. So they're rebranding the Great Movie Ride with TCM. So that actually on Sundays, well, we're jumping to TV a little bit. On Sundays, what used to be on the Disney Channel at the Disney Vault, like all the classic stuff, the live action movies that are from the 40s, 50s, and 60s that they, they don't show on the Disney Channel anymore, they're showing on TCM. Oh, interesting. So check, people, if you love, like, they are running the edited Zorro together. They did, they started last week and I missed it. I was so mad at myself because I knew it was coming. Was, um, they did, like, the, um, the episode of The Wonderful World of Disney when Walt toured people around Disneyland. Oh. Introdu- you know, basically introducing Disneyland. And I was like, I forgot to record it and it's not showing up on On Demand yet. Because uh-huh. uh, I wish that actually On Demand had like a Turner Classic Movies cha- uh, option sure. and I could just look through. What do they have? Because I have an HBO one. Can I have a TCM one, please? Now yeah. that I'm doing that. Yeah. So, I mean, there's all, oh, look there. They've already got a relationship with Warner going and there's a licensing thing happening because Warner's free floating they don't have they're not attached to a park they're licensed to Six Flags right now to Magic Mountain and uh, you know thing so it, it it could be there but the shining star actually is they want CNN Disney wants to own a news channel mm. and in this day and age you really can't launch a new one that's going to you know it's going to be uh I mean you could but a big corporation is going to do the again the the most risk averse move you could it's less risky to buy an established one than to i i don't i don't discount that they might want but i i have trouble thinking what that would mean as a consumer that disney would own a news channel well time warner owns a news channel now fox owns a news channel and and comcast universal owns a news channel yeah so I mean that's that's reality i mean so then we we look at that we go yes that's kind of the downside there is again fewer Voices are controlling the mainstream dialogue. I do think there's things still out of out of the control of these big companies, out on the edges, uh, you know. And certainly the blogosphere is, if you want to look. But then we're so splintered that people don't know where to look. We're getting back to that to that point that the real truth is coming through. I don't know if it's the real truth, but you know who knows? Reality is subjective, man. Yeah. But but the truth is coming in in so through a prism so many things, and we, and we know this. Just as here's another trend for 2015, people, because I pay attention to this. McDonald's is cutting down on its menu because they discovered they've offered too many choices, and people walk in and don't know what they want. Oh yeah. And so they just leave because they don't know what they're... What well, the popular new menu and popular new chains are all much shorter menus. Yeah. And which, I mean, but that psychology has been around and known for, you know, mm-hmm. at least 20 years. There's like, yeah, you know, the jelly sales went down when they stopped being like five flavors. Well, McDonald's gets attacked on so many fronts. They're so schizophrenic about not... about providing value and providing healthy food and you know so they they're all how over the map they, how can they win right yeah. I, I i know and i'm not and I, i'm not here like defending mcdonald's either i just think there's yeah. an interesting interesting thing you know that and and i think this is the problem with our national conversation to get quasi-political for a moment is so many different sources and you and it, it we were not able to sort out what's really going on or a new story crops up before we've even paid attention to the ramifications of the previous one well we've we've talked about stories that only get vetted by one and then get picked up by so many different right and that's and then that you find out the source is one one person or one entity or or an overheard conversation i can't tell you how many times in the last two weeks 
Uh, maybe I'll, I'll let me let me do a rough estimate. At least three times in the last two weeks, I have seen a story from August pop up again that Disney was going to release the original Star, Star Wars. Wars. Yeah, it's the same story from the same web page, literally from August. Yeah, and then somebody stumbles, reprints it, or you know, or posts it on yeah. Facebook, and everybody goes, "Oh my god!" And the people that I say no better, and it's like, and you go, and I had, I went back to that story in August. I went back to that story two weeks ago to go like, wait a minute, and you read it, and it's like, yeah, I was talking to some guy, and he said, you know. Yeah, that they might no, do there's it. There's no meat there. They might do it. There's nothing there. Yeah. But that passed for journalism. And I got burned once on that way back when, before I knew you, a family planet. Somebody sent, somebody gave me, uh, said, no, I swear I was working on another film and it was fantastic. It was about Fantastic Four, the casting of The Invisible Woman before it was announced to Jessica Alba. That it was going to be this British actress named Sarah Winter. And this guy said, no, really, totally. And I was like, wait a minute. You know, and after I ran it, and it was like, yeah, we got a lot of hits. We did get a lot of hits, mm-hmm. but uh, and, and we're talking, and we're talking like thousands of people came in and got picked up by Any Cool News, I think. And right. um, but then, but obviously, <coughs> did you see the Fantastic Four with Sarah Winter? No, you didn't. And this guy was claiming, you know, it's just some random thing. You know, he's working on. He overheard something on the studio lot, and somebody named a name, and it was like, "Well, okay." I looked her up. She looked like Sue Storm. I went, "Great." You know, instead they cast somebody who didn't look anything like Sue Storm, and that's who they went with because they're the studio. And you know, so yeah, it, it's crossing around again. Basic. If this happens, 2015, what are the ramifications? And you guys can write in anybody, write into editor at fanboyplanet.com and say what's going to happen, what would happen. If Disney owns Warner, what are you afraid of? What are you excited about? Here's what I'd be most excited. I'm going to make a prediction. No, I meant to them. I know, yeah. I know, but I, but I would be. But here's the: if I didn't, if I didn't understand the dark side, man, here's what I would imagine: a third gate of comic book land in in Anaheim, because you know they've got a piece of property they want to develop a third park. Yeah, and if it was just Marvel and DC and you went into Metropolis and Gotham City on one side and did it right because when you go to Magic Mountain and you go to that I can't remember what they call it now Nate probably knows better there's a Coast City section there's like a little there are a few storefronts um, and and they are just facades that make reference to all the the businesses that are in Green Lantern because next to it is the the Ferris uh Hanger that Green Lantern the ride, which by the way is probably one of the most <laughs> ridiculously dangerous to glasses rides. I've have you have you ever been on this Green Lantern? No, I haven't. Ride? I haven't. So I took the kids this summer. for a second. I thought you were going to say Ferris Bueller ride, but no, that sounds no, awesome. No Ferris aircraft, Ferris Air. If you've ever, you remember that toy, the Wheelo? Yes. Yes. Okay. So the Green Lantern <laughs> ride is essentially a Wheelo. Only what happens? You're inside the wheels. Yeah. So I'm going. I'm going to describe. I'm kind of trying to make this as visual as uh, you know. I'm going to be visual to to Rick here. It's you. It snakes up. You're going it's, back and forth. It's a yeah. circular snaking going back and forth, and, and then you and, go back and down. Switch the... switch backs, and you go up, and you go down. Okay. But every time you hit an end of it, it goes. It stops. It goes. Gah! And so my daughter and I oh. were we're riding, and we both have glasses, and I said. You know, should we be wearing our glasses? We because we make my son take them. And Luke has to take them off. And I turned to Alan and go, "Do should we like hold on to our glasses or you know?" And just as we start to go, we see below us there's that net, <laughs> and it's, it's full, full of, of glasses. glasses. <laughs> so we have to ride with our like hands over, you know, just gripping, going, "Oh my god!" And then you get this. <laughs> 
every, every turn. And I'm like, okay, I'm glad I did it, but oh, Jiminy. But they're Gotham City. They have a Batman ride and a Riddler's Revenge. And their Gotham City is like, it's just half-hearted. It, it's just like when Great America had Top Gun and you knew they could fold up everything that made it Top Gun and fit it in a carny tent, you know, or in a trailer and, and, and get away. But if Disney did it, you'd really have Metropolis. You'd really have Gotham City. Right. You know, just as you'd have Marvel's New York if they do that. Um, and just like, you know, people, the news came out and we didn't really talk about that. It's leaked, you know, that we know that Star Wars Episode Seven is going to get a major placement in the parks. Don't know where. I've heard both Toontown being replaced. I'm thinking, oh, they're not going to replace Toontown. But the main reason is there's only one way into Toontown. The way in is the way out. And that was a mistake. And they know that. So it's better to actually have a little place where only kids go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and be like, everybody's getting into Star Wars. And the park's to capacity and it explodes out the back onto the, onto the I-5. And then I've also heard that they're going to tear down a lot of Tomorrowland and and redo it as Star Wars Episode Seven, mm-hmm. And then people are upset because, oh, Star Wars Episode, you know, we want the classic stuff. Well, you've got Star Tours. You, you do. And then uh, and maybe they may, if they do that, they'd have to move Buzz Lightyear over to California Adventure again to fit more, uh, like, California Adventure is the Pixar park. But anyway, we do know, yeah. you know, that that's... That, that's gonna that's gonna happen. So actually, the one thing, uh, but I look forward to the opportunity to walk through something that looks like it really is. You're focused on the parks, and I'm thinking about. Oh, I know uh, the the idea that that these these companies are in play and in and, and potentially change management, potentially change mm-hmm. ownership, may become semi co owned kind of things. From the standpoint of a comic reader, means we might we might get some crossover comics that we haven't had in. Decades, and that's another one for people to write into about because I know that they feel like, well, it's been done. Dan DiDio says it's been done. There's yeah. no point, you know. And Joe Casadas is the same thing. Dan's old. I mean, the, the a lot of kids have not experienced that with the current crop of, of right. heroes, right? And so, but I'm also the thing that I liked those. I, I they were them. fun, and uh, and both both universe both publishers are good enough with. The concept of alternate universes mm-hmm. that you, you tell me that there's an alternate universe where these two are able to meet, which is what you did in the Spider-Man Superman one. Yeah, they, they did. Well, that's how What If was. They didn't cross over or anything. It was just, oh, you're from Metropolis, and I'm from New York, and then know. they did Amalgam, yeah. where it was, you know, no, it was very clear they were being merged because Peter Parker was like, wait, well, you know, what am I doing here? And, and you know, then there's the DC versus Marvel, right? Uh, and Avengers versus JL Justice League was also that concept that they knew that they were on different worlds yes. and, cro- and crossing over, which is a big tradition in the JLA anyway. You know, right, right. So I mean, you know, I, I'm I'm all I would look forward to those things. I mean, those things could happen now. And, you know, I'd like to see Brian Michael Bendis write his mm. – he's had an idea for Daredevil versus Batman for quite some time. Yeah, that'd be great. You know, so the only – yeah, I don't know – that would certainly lower some barriers to that. Yeah. Uh, then IP-wise, the other things would be um, – yeah, I, I, I had another consequence. Of, oh, I know. Because here's this other thing that also Derek thinks about these other things. Time Warner has, I don't know if it's a majority stakeholdership, but they have, an, they have a fiduciary interest, shall we say, in another character that, oh, Disney would love to have. 
if you if they are truly are paying attention to where their fan crossovers are. Okay. We're not allowed to publicly, you know, like whenever I get press releases about this, they say, you know, they want to, they don't play up. You're not allowed to say it, even though the Time Warner is distributing it. They have a, a stake in BBC. Oh. America, okay. at least. Yeah. Which means that Disney could get their hands, conceivably, get their hands on Doctor Who. Which... I have heard, I have not gone and confirmed for myself, uh, but in Florida where they have Epcot and the international, you know, things where, uh, what is it, uh, Norway, the Norway Pavilion is becoming frozen. It's just like, forget it, we're just going to become frozen. The the roller coaster maelstrom is <laughs> like no a- longer maelstrom, it's, it's the frozen ride. Right. Um, you know, but in the England Pavilion, that the gift shop there is... Like seventy percent Doctor Who's really cool. So you know that that's. I mean, they know that's what's going to sell when people go to England and uh, you know to the England Pavilion, not go to England when they go to the England Pavilion in In Florida. uh, You know, they're in Epcot. People are going because well, there is let's face it, there's a lot of people in America that have become interested in England because they like Doctor Who, or they like BBC America, and so. you know, that's another one that's not been talked about. This mm-hmm. Hollywood Reporter article has not really been uh, bandied about any time other than within kind of our nerd press. Comic Book Resources, I think, ran something. I think Bleeding Cool ran a little something on it. And, you know, so here we have the chance to actually have the discussion. And I think it's a good one to start 2015 with because, like I said, there are good points. Come to- if you're just a fan not thinking about the long-term ramifications of it, on the surface, it seems so awesome, and I'm afraid that my surface self might just win because I also feel kind of helpless. You go, well, what are you going to do? Yeah, they're going to do it or they're not going to do it. But if they do it, this is the pros. You know, I'll make the best. There are cons, though. There really are cons. So, you know, we shall see. Yeah. Uh, the uh, next thing you want to mention is uh, let's get to specifically comics, shall we? Okay, a little bit, which is. Um, I guess Axis has finished, so you know what the status quo status quo is. I have not read Axis at all, so well, it was it was it was we're calling Axis. It was uh, it was Red Skull who started off as the villain in Uncanny Avengers, and he had basically taken on Xavier's powers from the corpse and the brain, and we won't go into the exact details because it was well, very disgusting in that first issue. It was, yeah. so. The Axis was the Red Skull coming coming into battle with Magneto and Onslaught being recreated. And Onslaught then being taken down by chaos and order magic of the Scarlet Witch and Doctor Strange. Which the idea was to flip um, flip the Red Skull out of control and put Xavier into control of mm-hmm. Onslaught. Well, the the magic, of course, worked, but it had additional ramifications in that it it changed the polarity of good and evil of the people who were within uh, spell shot of this uh, of this event. So we had a number of weeks of a good hobgoblin, a good carnage, and a a certain uh, certainly self centered and um, manipulative uh, superior Iron Man, and let's say I'm trying to think who else. Oh, a, a good saber tooth. Yeah. Um, it was much more fun to watch the the villains who had turned good deal with their reputations and then trying to 
trying to um, deal with the idea that they had to be the ones that were going to revert the status quo back. And, at the, and, and in doing that, they were going to sacrifice their good selves yeah. to, and become evil again. Um, the end, upshot of this was through different machinations, uh, three, hero, three characters remained switched. Uh, the Superior Iron Man, Sabretooth, and Havoc. Oh, okay. And so they're going on for at least some time with with this uh, this new personality. Sabretooth, I think, is going to become more the replacement Wolverine. Mm-hmm. In the, and that's not the first time that's happened, really. Right, right that's true. Um, I'm trying to remember when he was... He was in X-Force or... I think he was an X Factor. X Factor, yeah, that's right. And yeah. he, he originally had a had a collar on that would yeah. uh, that, that kept him at bay, and then he eventually just kind yeah, of yeah. And Logan had lobotomized him at one point yeah. too, so they made him docile at least. Yeah. So I mean, uh, yeah. yeah, it's not. So you're, you're describing to me a storyline where I sort of like go, yeah, we have read things like this before, yeah. but so um, and and Sabretooth, it's always fun to watch a character who has been really bad be really good and struggling with his his background. I mean, well, let's we, be honest. We watched we it with to, Bane, you know. Well, well, no, we watched it with Magneto because yes. I can remember X-Men number 150. When, yeah. Or Uncanny X-Men number 150 back when there was just one title. And the Dave Cockermart uh, and Chris Claremont writing and when it was clear when in his lust for defeating the X-Men, he had injured Kitty. And he and that was the first time I'd really encountered a story with him where, and I, so I don't know if there was one before, but when he is completely devastated that he had harmed a child. Mm-hmm. And I went, boom. And it took to issue 200. They played this slowly. There weren't a lot of other distractions. They went through. It took till issue 200 for it to be clear that he, that Charles was getting to him, mm-hmm. that he had realized he'd gone too far. And they filled in a lot. That's when they filled in a lot of the Holocaust background for him. For Magneto, yes. For Magneto. And it made sense. And that when Charles, I can't remember who took him away. It was Shiar took him away. And he's left behind and he says, all right, I will carry forward your dream. Because yeah. it has to. And and, and, and he led the X-Men for, and he led, for, for a while. And yeah. I thought, and that was great. Yeah. And I agree with the Bane thing. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I mean, Secret Six before New 52 sort of continued that idea of, Bane had a twisted honor, mm-hmm. and he so when he was with the Secret Six, he'd still go too far, but he thought at least what he was doing was right instead of just I'm just angry at yeah. the world. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of uh, there's a couple other characters that have been sort of well, Otto Octavius like when he was the Superior Spider-Man. Uh, that was you know it, it made sense why he would take on the role in the first place. Yep. And then, and when then is he, creeping into being the hero, you know. It, but, well, the thing where he actually went through Peter's experiences, when he went yep. through the me- memories and went, oh, like you could have made, I could have made those choices. And it's like, it was interesting to yeah. me. You can be good and still be an a-hole, which I think is sort of what they're doing with Tony Stark. It's kind of what they're doing with Stark, but he's really being, I mean, he's, he's, he's not weaponized. He's commercialized uh, the... Um, Oh, it's the, the not the virus, but the uh, the extremists. Extremists, yeah. And he's made it a commercial product where people can take it and become better, better physically and beauty, more beautiful. And they have to subscribe to it. So he's got them hooked. He's he's come up with a new drug 
that most of San Francisco is is addicted to. And so that's, I, I'm going to be that's, honest. That's here. kind of evil. I'm going to be honest here. You buy that? <laughs> I I paid I pay eighty dollars a year for an antivirus protection that I may not need, but I'm for my computer because there's probably freeware. But I'm scared, so I pay for that. Yeah. Um. I subscribe to cable. I subscribe to Hulu. I subscribe to Netflix. It, my drug of choice is just completely. Um, s- Approved of by society, and everything's on a subscription network. Hi, I mean we're on my phone. Not only am I paying for my phone thing, but but as I was playing Plants vs Zombies and going like, and even Disney Frozen, the Frozen Fall, Free Fall, or whatever you call it, the, yeah. you know, is like, well, I could pay. I've managed to re- resist making micro payments, right? But I see, and it is designed because I'm seeing those articles too. People are like, well, "What video game companies are trying to addict our kids?" I'm like, "No, they've been trying to addict you, but you weren't interested." So, I mean, all businesses do that. Yeah, I don't know if I'll call it evil because, again, as I've said, if Fanboy Planet, if Disney wants to buy Fanboy Planet, yes, we would gladly join the consortium um, because there'd be money and we'd be paid to do this. But um, I don't know that it's evil. I think it's the way of our culture. Right. So I, that's weird. Oh, my gosh. I've really become old and almost Republican. Um, because I, I see it. Because I had a friend who said that when he read Ender's Game. Like, he didn't see the problem with raising, having children. Raised who, to be soldiers. To raised to be soldiers in video games and stuff. And he says, I, I don't understand why that's evil. So I don't understand why that everybody thinks this book is so groundbreaking. And and I just realized that I've said it. Um, I, like, I get it now. And I think partially because we have raised them to. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, that's the video games are doing it. So, okay. Well, so the the big... I would like to be bigger, faster, and better looking. Tony Stark, take me away. Here here was the big Satan move that, that Stark had. And it's a couple weeks old, so I'm not, it's not really a yeah. spoiler. Um, Daredevil did not appreciate Stark coming in and messing with San Francisco, his new adopted city. Yeah. Stark anticipated this. Because he's Stark. And gave daredevil a version of the extremist virus that restored his sight yeah yeah. that's that's like i said the first word was manipulative yes and he's definitely and he's drinking again and he's uh, womanizing and he's got parties going on and he's got this this transparent metal faceplate so the people so people can appreciate the beauty of his face he doesn't have to be all helmeted up, well, which is which is a little strange because we were talking before about the preview pictures for that were in this month's uh, new Shield issue and yeah. the um, Secret War and the Secret War preview, which show him in the white armor, but he's got a fully hooded face, and we're not it's not quite clear the time frame and that I mean, those shots and I don't, are. I don't I don't remember if he's ever actually called Stark in that. It might not be him in that armor. Yeah. Because that's not without precedent either. Uh, it's clearly happening sometime in the future. Uh, you know that's in, that that is interesting. So let me give you let me let me let me blow your mind for 2015. Okay. We're going to start with this. Uh, this is not my theory, and I, and I apologize. You know um, that I can't remember who actually posited this on Bleeding Cool, but I love this so much, and I've extrapolated further and go. Um, they ran with this. They um, we know that after Secret War. Time runs out. Yes. That's the catchphrase. What are the things that have been happening in the Marvel Universe about the last four years that you would say consistently as far as like, what is 
binding all of it together. Shield and the Avengers. Uh, I'm sorry. Let me give you an event that starts at Age of Age of Ultron. Okay. Okay. Age of Ultron starts this, and what are the ramifications of Age of Ultron? Uh, that reality can be manipulated reality back can, and forth, reality, and they've done it too many times. Reality, time. Mm-hmm. And we know that in Avengers, where Hickman has been writing, is that all these worlds are colliding, blah, blah, blah. Right. Time is when they, But I thought about this after this theory was paused and realized um, this actually was done at least once before in the 90s. Heroes Reborn. Right. Franklin yes. Richards takes his family, takes the Avengers out of our reality in the wake of Onslaught. So it's interesting. Right. And what you just pointed out to me is Axis brought back Onslaught. Onslaught. The reason for Onslaught, the consequences of Onslaught was that the heroes were removed by Franklin Richards, who created an entire alternate universe. And this is also coming up again in Fantastic Four. Right. Because the Which is coming to an end. The Stark and the Thor and a couple other characters from the pocket universe. And you just read, back. And you just read um, the Iron Man thing, where, uh, the, or, the kind of the untold story, the year one, whatever they called it. Uh, for Marvel, where they said that Arno was actually his long lost brother, Arno Stark, right? Who is Iron Man twenty twenty? Because we're close to twenty twenty. Uh-huh. But when Arno was introduced, Arno was his great great grandson. Yes. Okay. So the thing is, that same character in a universe was in that a- in Spider Man. Or was that was in the twenty ninety nine? No, universe, no. Uh, there, there's an Iron Man twenty ninety nine. Oh, as it was well. in the. It was in the. Um, the Mike Sane's uh, Iron Man. Yeah, and he came and he's come back and right, he's been right. in continuity. And so Arno had been introduced that way as one relation. It's the same character in a universe that is prided and an edit, the editorial prides itself on. We don't reboot. We don't reboot. But they have taken and done soft reboots on things like this where Arno is now the brother and not the descendant right. of Tony Stark. Well, you can have two people in a family and with the same name. Uh, okay, no, I love this theory better. Okay, okay. okay because of Heroes Were Born. That actually, the other thing is, I'm going to give you another clue. All new X-Men, the mm-hmm. original five, are brought forward in time. Right. They act very consistently when they see Times Square and everything and going like, this is weird. like they are completely in an alien world. They act very consistently like they are the original X-Men from 1963. Yes. And and it was like first it was like oh was that just kind of a weird you know uh, overdone, and instead Bendis has heightened it that they are the their their references their points of references are they are from 1963. So how could when Cyclops is still only in his late 20s as the leader of the Mutant Liberation Front have been in 63 and 2014 he'd be 70 80 years old yeah. All right. Um, so we know <clears throat> that X-Men is being downplayed in the Marvel Universe. Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch have just separated out from being connected to them. They're not mutants anymore. They're inhumans. Mm-hmm. Very, very likely to be. So X-Men's getting kind of, could be getting sealed off. Fantastic Four is coming to an end because of the Fox connection as well. Um, they deny that, but it's all just happening, you know, so it's going to be put in a bubble until such time. What's the, the slogan on X-Men, on Fantastic Four is not forever or, yeah. Right. So the theory posited is that this is all Franklin. We know that time is malleable. We know that the worlds are colliding 
And the theory is that a future version of Franklin, and we've seen many different versions of yes. future versions of Franklin running around, that Franklin's using his powers to warp time so that the X-Men and the Fantastic Four are contemporaries of the Avengers, even though that's another one where Reed and Ben started out fighting in World, World War, War II, II and even alongside Nick, Nick Fury, Fury, and now, no, they were fighting in Iraq. That's where they met. Mm. And that originally Sue was much younger than Reed, and now they've redone it because it's more playable for the time that that Sue and Reed were, were both kids. were both in grad no in grad school together. Well, That's yeah. where they met. They weren't they're, they're they're the same age now. Yeah, they were originally huge gap. Okay, so the theory is that Franklin has been altering their reality and keeping them young and forward so that they could be contemporaries with the Avengers because he needs everybody to stop whatever is happening when time runs out. Hmm. He needs, I mean, and this, again, only a theory, but certainly better in practice than the new 52 in which Pandora had said that she was coming to, you know, that she was creating. I kind of like this because uh, it's a better way to reboot the universe than the way DC keeps doing right. it. Because what you do is you you don't invalidate any of the prior stories. Exactly. But you, you establish don't. a new baseline. Exactly. In which case, then, the characters that, they, that they're being told by the corporation they shouldn't use then get sealed off in the 60s. Now imagine that when we see stories of the Fantastic Four and the stories of the original X-Men, mm-hmm. and I'm going to go forward actually in S.H.I.E.L.D. this week, there is something that sort of lends credence to this. Okay. Okay? Is that if you seal them off in the 60s, and then you say it's a minor thing just for fans because we're not going to do, you know, have anything to do with, you can do, because also what's the, probably the, to me, the best of the X-Men movies is X-Men First Class. Yeah, it is this most solid idea. And if you ignore that it's even invalidating its own continuity, it's right. past is good. Uh, I'll get back to being annoyed about that, something with that a little later. Um, but making it a period piece. And and making it a period piece so that if we have an ongoing X-Men series and they don't want to put effort into the huge X-Universe they have because it's it's only helping Fox. Yeah. So if they're supposed to make every you know every character that people love, if you take the X-Men out, that might also change the rights deal so that it's wow. only Xavier and the original five that uh, are X-Men and change who everybody else is and reclassify them as Inhumans. And the Fantastic Four are in the 60s. And the Ultimate Universe is going away anyway because we've got, by the way, Miles Morales over in all-new X-Men. Right? So then they get sealed off until such time as they get the rights back. Mm -hmm. And then you can reintroduce them and put them in. And then once that menace is gone... And to say, like characters like Tony Stark and Reed Richards, that if if time had been allowed to progress normally, the Fantastic Four are dead. They're old. Yeah. They're JSA'd. Mm-hmm. And, and the X-Men are, the five are the legends. They're old or dead. And you can then clean up things that don't work in the continuity because Franklin was messing with everything. To save everybody. Yeah. No, I like that. I like it a lot. And so we'll go into um, 
the comics because, as I just mentioned, having S.H.I.E.L.D., here's the thing. Phil Coulson, you'll have to fill me in, because this Phil Coulson is now, uh, this is the dead week, right? You know, I mean, the, the, like each publisher the end, had... The end, it was the, the end, end of the, of the year. year. So each publisher had like... Two books <laughs> max. Maybe. You know, and so, but one, which was I really enjoyed... Was the Mark Wade and Carlos Pacheco created um, Shield book, which it which gives us a team similar though not perfectly in line with the television series, right? Led by Phil Coulson. Now in Battle Scars, wasn't it a guy who was given the code name Phil Coulson? Oh boy, I because I didn't read it, but yeah. you and Nate did. If that was true, and then here's the the you know the Franklin Ridge is messing with things. Yeah, is he's very established Ohio urchin Phil Coulson at age nine as yeah. the ultimate. I love this, and I would love, and it really has been hinted at in the movies. It's just that the movies don't have as many heroes. Right, is that he is the fanboy. Well, that he was he was. Before he had computers and stuff, he was keeping track of everything. He was the Zorlak he was of writing the, everything he's down. The Zorlak of yeah. the Marvel Universe. Yeah. And then that's why he's great for S.H.I.E.L.D. because he's outside and can see whose powers work well. He's great as, well. what, what title did they give him? Special Ops Supreme Commander Phil Coulson. Yes. So he's in a role similar to what he is on the television series, but still not in necessarily in contradiction with... Um, with the established comics continuity. But here's the thing. When he's been held prisoner, there's a panel here where he's naming X-Men. Right. And this is why I say this actually fits in the idea that maybe he's aware of the rea- of a reality where time progressed normally for them because he's, re- in order to keep from being broken down and brainwashed, he's reciting the X-Men in the order they joined the team. Right. Which could mean that for him... There's a whole different team of X-Men than we know. And those original five, which a lot of people don't even realize who the core five are anymore because of who the Because of are, the, you know. the movies and such, yeah. Yeah. So um, I found this a really fun book. Yeah, I read this last night at 3 a.m., so I, I've got I've to read through I it I read it at 3 p.m. And, um, no, I don't know, I, I, yeah, I, I it was earlier than 3 a.m., uh, much I'll say. I, I found it different. I mean, there are pieces of the movie, of uh, the comics continuity that are just different, you know, like, and, and they kind of dance around a little bit on Heimdall uh, to make sure, you know, he looks a little bit like Idris Elba, but not, a, you know, yeah. he's sort of in between. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a way in that once you read this, and oh man, are they lucky they own the rights to. Uh, Alex Ross's art on Marvels because it shows up on the first page that for the yeah, yeah, yeah. panels from Marvels are there. I'm like, why do you keep doing that? They keep going back to that. Have some, at least let somebody redraw it. Um, anyway, I, uh, I I like the the short fits in Henry at the end as well. Um, yeah, I thought that was fun. That was cute. I have I, I have one really really weird politically correct criticism of it, but um, I'm gonna leave it off. For now, because I don't want to be the person who launches a huge controversy. Okay, I'd rather let somebody else do it. Uh, I, as a book, though, there was was this a two ninety nine or a three? I paid five bucks for this. Crap! Yeah. Now I'm not as happy with it. But uh, <laughs> uh, but on a week where I didn't have that much else to buy, I, I was grateful for it. But but for five dollars, if you picked this, if you were a fan of the TV show and you walked into a shop and and were recommended this, it's close enough to the show that you recognize the characters. You know, but, you paid five dollars for this. There are no ads. Oh, love it! And then I'm um, and the, only on the back cover. The back Lugs. cover. 
Um, but there, but that you also get um, an introduction to a, a potentially much greater Marvel universe. It's a great gateway book. I take that back. There's a there's a uh, well, you tried. There's a Charles uh, Atlas. How Charles album. Atlas has come back? I, I don't know what's going on. There, but there are but very few ads in it. Very few. I think it's just a lot of pages of story, and yeah. it's a well done story, and it's a Phil Coulson who is recognizably Clark Gregg. Yeah, you know, and and so I'm very very impressed with that. Um, and it led to my theory. The other major books, so from Marvel this week, also came the all new Miracle Man Annual. Yep. Which did you read it? I no, I've not. Okay, so there's a Grant Morrison story here that he'd written for Warrior Magazine and they never used. So uh, Joe Casada drew the Grant from the Grant Morrison script. He asked Grant Morrison last year if he could do it, if the script still existed. I got the different cover too. Oh yeah, and that ties a little better. Well, actually, this, they both tie in. Yeah. Um, anyway, so there's one story by Grant Morrison uh, with art by Joe Casada, and it is a beautifully drawn. Uh, you know, I mean, you just look. It's, we might give Casada oh, yeah. crap, but um, the guy can draw. Uh, from time to time, it's it's a beautifully drawn drawn story. And then there's a second one by Peter Milligan and Mike Allred, um, oh, in which cool. basically it's set in the time that Miracle Man. And that they're still under the influence. Retro Miracle Man. Yeah, that they're still under they're still the, the dream, the state, dream state. Yeah. Except that Miracle Man is occasionally waking up mm. and realizing that there's things aren't adding up. And so it's an interesting story that, that and they don't violate anything that's established in the very small continuity. Right. But it's also a way to kind of uh, take a modern look at the silliness and the fun of these stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would actually, I don't call them fun because they've been reprinting some of them. Alred's the perfect person to yeah. do that art, too. And, and then there's the behind the scenes. They, they break down some script pages and, and show you pencils and inks. Do you go through all that stuff? I did in this case. Okay. I, I was just interested to see. Um, I flip through it, but I, I always feel like I feel like I should have, I should be studying it or reading more. No, it's just interesting. But when I do, there's not a whole lot of what, depth. It's actually interesting if you're if if somebody's interested in, the, in you know how the sausage is made. The comparison of script pages with the art that Casada did is complete. Yeah, like they do each page because what Warrior did was, or or at least this is what Grant Morrison did was he wrote the story and he did the panels, but he gave no breakdown um, mm. rules. The only limitation was it had to be six pages because that's what Warrior would have allotted. Right. So the artist was free to do it. No artist ever been assigned. Casada does it, and so it's interesting to kind of see there are uh, divergence from uh, what Morrison wrote and you know what Casada decided to do. And I think Casada's choices were were fine. It didn't ruin the story at all. It didn't hurt it. And I think in a couple of places, like actually, I think Casada's uh, choice was very good. It was actually more dramatically exciting and satisfying. So now is this the first new, all new guys? They, they do put in the banner all new Miracle Man. Yeah, because so these stories the have never appeared. So this is kind of this is the roughly the equivalent of uh, I think it's Doc Savage ninety eight, the Red Spider. Right. This which, is the this is the first. This is completely a, previously unseen right. material, but created during during the one story was right. One story is created in 1984, and one story was written just this year, cool. or 2014. So um, I, that was it. If you're a Miracle Man fan, and I, I've heard that it's not selling as well because maybe it's time has passed, but you know what? It's still a very interesting story, and I, I, I do think people should be buying it. But anyway. So I just story. wonder, because it is so 
known that this will be collected, traded, and that it isn't, for the most part, it isn't. It's reprint stuff from before. Right. I mean, obviously, gussied up from right from before, but that that people may be waiting to pick up the bigger trades. And, and there it, is a bigger trade of and, the first six. I and think. it's well, there's, there's that's the that's the other thing is now now we have to say, am I waiting for the first round of trades? Or am I waiting for the larger volumes where they'll put ten or twenty issues into one one binding? And you know they're going to do it. I know. I almost bought Saga Volume One yesterday. I was like, I, I, I may still do it because. I think it'll lose if the sales still on today and they're still open. And it's like, oh, it's 25% off. Is that better than tar- than Amazon would offer me for the Saga hardcover? Yeah. You know, oh, for the thick one. Uh, yeah, yeah, for the big one. So I'm like, oh. Yeah, did you buy the trade? You bought the, that first trade, that $10 trade, right? No, not a Saga. No, I no? did. Okay. I was reading it as it was going. Okay. You know, I, I, up until now, up until about a couple months ago, I was just buying them in the individuals. And then when I started falling behind, it's like, well, you know, I have all of East of West because... Um, I got Nick to go to sign every one of those. Yeah. I couldn't find the individual issues. You know, I I just go in and buy the trade. That's what he was. Why he was signing. Um, and I need to go back and get Lazarus the trade because I fell behind there and uh-huh. they didn't have it on my list. So I think I missed a couple of issues. I'm like, that's gone to trade. I love that. I love the beginning of it. Yeah, and read. And then there are, and that's mostly image books where I'm doing it. And I hope that's not hurting their sales. You know, I mean. Because they've got to, they've got to know that that's that's the the buying practice nowadays and building it into their their planning because that's how I'm doing the Manhattan projects and that's how I'm doing yeah. um, um, the Brubaker spy one that was um, secret velvet oh velvet yeah, yeah. velvet yeah um, velvet's and, great and I bought Black Science that way I don't know if I'm gonna I didn't, I didn't get like so pulled into Black Science but but they're great because you yeah. know again you pay 10 bucks and, and those get, are good and, and those are good books stories. to buy in a trade because they're all solid long run stories yeah and yeah. that's why I decided that's the way it is, it's gotta be and, and Nick Nick Dragota told me about, about East is West he said you know it really does read better in a chunk yeah when you just sit down and read no I've arc. got I've got like the last 15 issues of that to read yeah so do yeah. i so i'm like i at this point i just need to find my trades and you know and just yeah. read them and sit down and read that all in all so um anyway that's i and so miracle man is the one there and then there's there are marvel stories like i know i'm gonna catch the mark wade daredevil stuff by doing it that way you know i, I read the first issue of that enjoyed it but i, I stopped i kind of like missed a couple weeks and went oh i missed the second issue and all right i'll pick it up yeah trades you know and um and, and so here's one that I went for the first issue, and you did as well, because I knew this combines two things that you love. I hadn't heard about it until the day before it came out. You know what? Here's the thing. It was announced at Comic-Con, and I had the press release, and as I was trying, you know, the thing is being a, one, a one-man show, getting back to the hotel, trying to do, it's like you have to pick and choose and go, that's a cool story. And sometimes it's one of the stories that I go, I get a story that I go, uh, or a press release that I go, well, Rick would probably, would will totally love this. I should probably run it, and then I think, well, I, it was a story that's probably bigger, will get us bigger, and Rick's on this mailing list anyway, and then, you know, so I don't, but I don't know that you are, and yeah. I should be yeah. remembering to do that. This is a combined, this is weird, IDW and Boom Studios together, because I realized after I looked at this, uh, I went, oh yeah, they both, they do, own, they're the separate, separate owners, and I forgot that, because uh, it's Star Trek Planet of the Apes. And Planet of the Apes is a Fox property, and so uh, Boom is kind of the licensee of yeah. of, uh, of, of Fox. So they come together for a story called the Primate Directive. Bad pun, but but also 
very satisfying. And to be about. clear, it's the original Planet of the Apes, not the reboot. As Planet it is of the, Apes. the original Star Trek. It is not. Yeah. It is not the movie universe version. It is. It is the original TOS, as they say. Yes. It's William Shatner. It is the original Planet of the Apes, and. Um, and and one of the reasons, which I think is is really cool, in the back there's an essay from Dana Gould. Uh, I don't know if you read that. Um, you Noted know. scholar Dana Gould. Well, here's the thing. I don't know if you've seen the video of this, and I think it was from the SF Sketch Fest like three or four years ago, or it might have been. I'm not being very sarcastic in saying that. From his. saying an alternate thing. Well, Dana Gould's a stand-up comic. He runs a comedy podcast. But he did <laughs> the most bizarre, high-concept, and brilliant um, thing I've ever seen, and I don't know who was a sketch fest. I, I saw the video once and went, just the kind of makes me laugh, is his argument was that the internet has everything, but the one thing he hadn't seen yet was Dr. Zayas performing Mark Twain tonight. <laughs> and so he come, oh, so he comes on stage. Who played Zayas in the movie? Morris Morris Evans. And so, okay. uh, and, and Paul Williams was the second orangutan scientist. Okay, uh, you know it was by the time he got to escape from the Planet of the Apes, it was Paul Williams or Battle for the Planet of the Apes because he was much shorter. But um, Maurice Evans, who was the dad on, uh, who was Samantha's father on Bewitched, right, played Doctor Sands. And so Dana Gould comes out in full ape costume, excellent, excellent Doctor Sands <laughs> makeup. <laughs> Wearing kind of the doc, it looks like it's a combination of the Doctor Zayas suit and the well-known white suit of Mark, Mark Twain. Twain, and then just begins doing Mark Twain in Doctor Zayas' voice. And there's like this big, you know, this big introduction about this is the one thing the internet never had before, and it needed to be done. And I love concepts like that. So yeah. anyway, he's very clearly a Planet of the Apes fan, and he's written for The Simpsons. And let's face it, you know, guys of a certain age are. And Dana Gould's about our age. They're fans of Star Trek, you know. So yeah. he's actually got a really good historical uh, essay there about why it kind of makes sense that these these come together um, and why it has to be the original of both. And uh, so you know, it's the story isn't too. I'm not sure where it fits in the original series continuity, and maybe I'm being completely nerdy to even say that I care. Um, I love the opening of it that uh, Sulu and and Uhura doing their espionage are, in, uh, because that's an idea that they really you know they did a couple times on the series right. and then just went you know because really if you could disguise people as Klingons and Romulans why aren't there a whole bunch of undercover agents you know maybe there are what maybe there are Shh, I've given away their plan um, and then there's an explanation as to why Planet of the Apes would you know fit in the, in this continuity. It's a nice, bright, clean art. I was a little bothered by the colors. Uh, the yellow's a little too yellow uh, mm. and not the gold that I'm used yeah. to. But yeah. it's very clean, I think, accessible uh, art, and, and the characters are recognizably the characters, you know? It, it's um, yeah. It's not my favorite coloring job, but I think the you know I, I think a different colorist would, uh, would have drawn me in even better. The pacing's a little off, but at least by the end of the first issue, you know... What's coming? You going. understand what's coming. Who's going to be there? And it's General Ursus of the Gorillas. So I'm hoping this means that Cornelius is going to be involved. And I won't say it. they gave a cover of, of issue two, and I think that I may be right that it's going to we're going to see more of um, uh, the characters from the first film that we want that we wanted right. to. So unless right. it's just a gotcha cover, which could be, I won't spoil it because you know if you haven't picked it up, you want to. It's solid. I'm glad I bought it. 
and I seem to only buy these weird events. Like I don't buy the Star Trek on. No, I don't. Have to but buy I might buy the. You know, in the back they they say they show um, what trades they have, and the trades they don't seem unreasonable in price for but you know six, collections of six issues. So um, and it they, just comes down to I really have to. It's it it really isn't a matter of the economy of it. It's a matter of do I have time to read all this stuff? No, that's true too. And uh, and the ongoing is. Uh, Actually, based I think on the film, the uh, the, the Chris Pine yeah. uh, version. So, uh, but they do have the Gold Key archives, which I may have to look up hardcover for thirty bucks. Uh, and it notes that, of course, Corto Maltese. I think we had covered was coming finally. I have that a, in the other room in a good translation. Yeah. Okay. So, um, any anyway, that was a good. You know, so this is a great week because you know they were all issue number ones that I could read. Yeah. And were they all issue ones? No. Well. Batman Eternal. Oh, well, Batman Eternal. Oh, that was the... Okay, I, I, those two I wasn't sure if they were things I had left in my box from last week or ah, not. No, those so, were the so sweet. But the things that I, I read were... There was a bunch of number ones that I could just sure. launch into yeah. and go, I'm not lost. And East or West 16. Yeah, I got that. I did get that too. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm not lost. Yeah. I don't think you picked up this one. I, I did think not. you picked up the other three. But this one from Kaboom. And it's really worth talking about because... I realized today as I was kind of getting this together and like going, getting ready to come over, um, any other age, Roger Langridge would be celebrated as one of the biggest storytelling geniuses over time because um, whether uh, his artwork reminds me a lot of you know it, I don't know it, it it feels like he does books so it's all his it's all him. And the book is called Abigail and the Snowman, and Kaboom is the children's line. And this guy should be celebrated because he consistently does fantastic books for kids. And I first got saw him when he wrote the Thor series that Marvel was aiming at younger readers, and it was probably the best Thor stories I'd ever read, even though it was completely out of any other continuity. But he made those characters that are rough-edged in the regular Marvel universe into something palatable without them losing who they were. Thor, God of Thunder, I think is what they called it. Um, or Thor, the Mighty Avenger. And uh, so there's two trades of that. He did The Muppet Show for Boom. And if you've oh. ever read those books, they actually yeah, feel the, like episodes of The Muppet Show. Yep. There was uh, one on Free Comic Book Day, wasn't there? I think so. And yeah. and so, um, you know, they're out of print right now, but hopefully Disney still owns the rights and we'll put it into something again because it, it feels right. He did a, a series for uh, Boom. And then Kaboom called Snarked, um, which was about the walrus and the carpenter existing in a fairy tale kingdom and trying to be make it as sort of like odd, odd. And then there's a, yeah, there's a comic strip on the back that may or may not be related to the story inside. Um, but I think because I was reading an article about Little Abner, like people complaining about people not going out to vote or not aware of. You know, people are complaining now. Kids, people don't know about political issues because they're watching TV or they're reading other, you know, or they're playing video games and blah 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 blah. And then, and then somebody took out this, you know, complaint from 1954 yeah. that people are reading Little Abner rather than, you know. And I went, wow, that's right. The comic strip artists in the newspapers were given a given a respect that comic book artists never were at the time. You know, if you were Charles Schultz, everybody, everybody knows who Charles Schultz is, right? But it took a while for Jack Kirby to seep into the public consciousness because you picked it up in a newspaper and you read Peanuts. Al Cap, Little Abner, who's who's come up recently in the news for worse uh, stories, but but that um, Little Abner was 
you know, so popular, there was a Broadway musical. And when you say, why did, why did Sony make Annie, this hip-hop version of Annie, and why was that musical big? Because remember that in the 30s, Little Orphan Annie was like, everybody knew who that was. Flash Gordon, once upon a time, everybody knew who that was. They didn't know who Siegel and Schuster were for Superman, but everybody knew Alex Raymond, and everybody knew Harold Gray, and everybody knew this. So in another era... Roger Langridge would, to me, would stand aside. He writes, he's as, as Howard Chaykin once said to me, he's still the true cartoonist. There are artists, there are comics artists, and there are comics writers. And a very few that fit in between that are the real cartoonists, and that's who people, you know, like Milton Caniff with Steve Canyon. The character postures and, and, and face, yeah. face facial expressions and are just so classic, and they're just but flipping I'm just saying, through. I'm just saying it's one man yeah. doing it, and that's yeah. what... And this is about a little girl in a in a, I, I think it's a it's Brit, the British school system. There was the things that make um, a, a little girl whose dad can't keep a job. He's kind of he's an electrician who's kind of a little accident <laughs> prone. And so and I don't know where the mom is. And she's sort of she lives in her own imagination. She doesn't make friends easily. So she's made up an invisible dog that she keeps around when people like start rejecting her. She. Oh, there you are to the dog, you know, and starts and playing with the dog, and then kid, which makes kids think she's even weirder. Blah blah blah. Meanwhile, from a secret cryptozoological lab, uh, this yeti has broken out and is loose in the streets, but he's very well educated, very articulate, and dresses well. And the thing is that he's invisible to most humans, and the secret the men in black have special glasses that allow them to see it. But this first issue is about his discovery that. He's never, because he's been in the Himalayas, never encountered children before. So that children can see him, uh, but <laughs> but adults can't. Something about the brain ages out. So it's a very basic fairy tale aspect So, I mean, this. there is. And so it's like, you know, it's kind of this charming thing. This kid who needs a friend. A it's fig- the Harvey. It's the, fig- it's, yeah. the, it's the invisible friend who may actually be real. Yes. And then it has an argument. There's a great panel where he's arguing. He's going... You mean like a Bigfoot? And he's like, no, no, no. Bigfoots are like hippies. They're just running around in the tr- in the forest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, and, you know. And then he draws them side by side, like in the dirt, to show you this is a Bigfoot, this is me. And it's like they're exactly the, exact the same. same. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's like the city cousin. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so many places. This is only a four issue miniseries. I'm so glad I picked it up. And I wish I had more time this week because you know, Boom did send me like a PDF, and I was like, no, I'm just going to buy it, you know. And I didn't read it, and then I bought it, and went, oh, I'm glad I bought it because I want to support when they do fantastic stuff here. But I wish I'd written a review before it came out to drive people in. Yeah, Roger Langridge again, it just it's fantastic kids' books, and we need there to be. But I, here I am at 49, finding this very charming, very you know, very readable, and I'm going to be reading it, you know, and I'll hand it over to my kids and. And see, and and I recommend to anybody else if if you want. It's it's bright, it's accessible, and it reminds me very much of. I do see a little a Charles Schultz in the way in the layout and the and thing, and it's just a really there's a simplicity. I'm but, trying to remember the first the first couple of pages. The the Men in Black remind me of. I don't know if it's is Beetle Bailey or yeah. No, you're right. There's yeah. a Mark Walker thing. It does feel you know. So I, and this is a guy who's taken these influences of all these great comic strips. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and he's turned around, and it's a little different style than he was in Snarked, and a little different style than he was in in uh, in the Muppets. So it's also impressive that. He can he changes his style to fit whatever story he wants to tell, and that's the other thing is again this is the story he's telling. 
mm-hmm. you know, that he wants to. So there's no interference. It's just a great book. I'm really, really pleased. I'm going to lay out the call for 2015 because Jeff Johns tweeted out, um, taunted us with the bo- book we're going to love the most in 2015. May 6th, Batman Earth 1, Chapter 2, Volume 2 will come out. Yeah. So we have a date. I just want people to know that. May 6th, that is the and There's a little bit of art for it and for yeah. it out on the net. Yeah, so. just a little bit. And that's all. I mean, yeah. did you pick up? There was, a, there was an Earth 1 Teen Titans graphic novel. Did you even see oh, it? Oh, I didn't even see it, no. I didn't either. And then I read a review online and went, what? It came out? And it, so I'm going to have to take a look around. It came out, did it come out like a, as a hardback? Well, or? they all come out as hardbacks. Yeah, yeah. okay. Well, uh, I, I, I never I saw this one. I, I didn't see it in the stores. I yeah. didn't see it. So I got to, you know, to look around because I liked Earth One, the Superman ones. I like, you yeah. know, and, I, and obviously I love the Batman uh, one. So we'll see. I don't know. Yeah. Shall we move on to movies? We we've, should. We've gone, we should. We've been very long here. We talked a lot about important stories. So uh, we won't be as long with the other things because I think we got the big stories out of the way. Uh, this week, Marvel released some promo art from Ant-Man with the logo and with characters in it. And we got our first look at Yellow Jacket. And not much to say except, oh, good, Yellow Jacket's in a costume that looks sort of like Yellow Jacket in the comics. And yeah. even though it's a different character underneath, it's the, art, the actor is Coley Stoller, Corey Stoller. But um, I can't remember which character he's playing out of Ant-Man Mythos because I don't know Ant-Man Mythos very well. Uh, which, by the way, goes back to that theory of time shifting because who's the most crucial person stuck out of time? If everything started with Ultron, it's Hank Pym. Yes. So in the movie universe, you can have Michael Douglas as Hank Pym being Ant-Man in the 60s. And then... And then Evangeline yeah. Lilly can be his daughter who becomes the Wasp now in the Avengers. Anyway, we're going to keep circling back to that theory. It's great. Uh, so, but, but Yellow Jacket has many arms in the armor, so that'll be interesting to see something visually interesting there. Uh, and making sure that Sony can't use Dr. Octopus again without seeming like a ripoff. Um, <laughs> you saw Into the Woods? I did. Yeah. I, 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 it, it, I was really, really, really afraid of this. I was, really, I was too. <laughs> I was because this is this is my Debbie's on the on periphery here. Were you afraid of Into the Woods as much as I I was afraid of Into the Woods? I think it was a different way. Um, no, because I don't, although I've seen the Bernard Peters, what is it, Playhouse, American, American Playhouse, American Playhouse. I don't remember it all that well. Oh, okay. It's been many years since I've seen okay. it. Okay, and so although I would have been fine seeing Bernard Peters in the Meryl Streep role, um, I was not. Um, I don't remember the stuff that got left out. So. Not that much. So. No, there was one really significant bit. But, but it doesn't alter things. So we will talk. Yeah. But I enjoyed the movie much more than Rick because I don't have as much to compare it to. Okay. There uh, you go. Well, you go. That's, that's just it. Well, the, it's, it's, not a, it's not a fear of the movie. It's a fear of what might go wrong in their production. Right. And, and I, because it is such a beloved Sondheim. And you, 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 Debbie got me the, the making the hat. Uh, the first volume oh, yeah. of of his and uh, you, I made a hat, ma- the making of the hat, or something like that. I think it's, it's called a, I made a hat. Uh, anyway, because it's a song, it's a song title from one of his things. I, I, it's uh, but it, you yeah. you read about all the care that went into the research and the writing of that, and the the way that they wanted to present these fa- the the Grimm's fairy tales, and then update them and put all these messages in about parenting and oh, love no, no, and I family. Know. Uh, look, a month and a half ago, I saw him talk about it live, so I know. Yeah. You know it's, uh, and uh, I think in that book, he mentions that Joanna Gleason is the only actress 
who he actually stole what she said for a song. A song, yeah. He gives her credit as saying, you know, she got to the heart of what he was doing, and so he rewrote lyrics to match what she had said. So the what we're we're familiar with it because of the the filmed staging of the musical, which of the gets, original Broadway production yeah. uh, that that gets up on the stage and you're you're in close and you take angles you wouldn't normally see from a fixed point and wa- watching yeah. in a theater, which is great. It's it's very nice. When you think about making it a movie, you're thinking about okay, we're gonna have big sets, we'll be able to do stuff outside, we'll do you know, we'll have a lot of things we couldn't do in that that yeah. theater staging, and they did. Uh, I think I'd have to go back and watch it again, which I'm not really anxious to do. Not not, not that it's a bad thing. It's just got a lot of other things to do. Um, I believe that all the night scenes are sound studio scenes. Yeah, they are all. Stand- and sound, all the all the stages, all yes. the day scenes are on are on second set kind of uh, or what's it called? They're exteriors. Yeah, they're they're outside. Yes, yes. they're on location. On location. There's for. no. It's, there's another. There's a. You have a second set director. Uh, second unit. It's not, it's uh, that's what they call it second unit director okay. but it's not it's Rob Marshall directing no, a second but, unit uh, just to clarify a second unit director would not have a main scene whether it was whether a uh, second unit would carry like oh Jack's running through and we don't have to worry about the acting right 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 uh, so next that's but next I thought exterior. there was a way to classify the the it's just an exterior shot okay yeah um which I think it's obviously something you couldn't do on the stage. I think that worked well for because you know, the magical stuff happens at night, and mm-hmm. the, and and so that was that was good. Um, you know, I, I had my differences in the in the casting. I thought I, I thought most were really passable, except I really didn't care for Meryl Streep. I I, I kept comparing her to the dynamic. Of, I I of, have that problem too. Um, you know, and again, I, a month and a half ago, I watched uh, Bernadette Peters. Knock it out of the park still. You know, granted, I was up in a balcony and, um, you know, there was a distance, but I thought, you know, and uh, at least I felt better because right before I saw it, I read a a little, or I was listening to uh, Sirius had a special on it uh, on the Broadway channel and they interviewed everybody and Meryl Streep said, like, um, Bernadette Peters is is iconic in the role. And it was like, at least she approached it from the same thing of like, the reality is the again we're back to what's going to sell Hollywood. You can't you put Meryl Streep in a movie, everybody's going to pay right. attention. Yeah. You put Bernadette Peters in a movie, unfortunately, as talented as she is, um that's not, not going to get not people's as, not attention. Not name recognition. And it's the same it's reason why you have Johnny Depp in there who I thought was the weakest link in the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um and I read I was I was really annoyed I read an article that said that they actually put him in a wolf mask and then they decided not. I'm like, right. "Why?" Why did you not do it when really that is a role that cries out to be specifically a wolf, not a human, yes. who has wolf suggestions in his features, but and a tail. But he, he did have a tail. That's right. And I got. I mean, I do think it was fu- it was a funny concept that he was a Tex a- the Tex Avery wolf. I liked that idea. But then I. But that's because I read deep enough to go. I uh, you know. But oh, they know. didn't. They didn't go over the top enough with it. With, right. that, the way the Tex Avery wolf and, does. And that was disappointing yeah. to me. But, just uh, one that that one last howl at the end, and right? I do think that it's on, that you know it's it's an interesting statement in the stage musical that the wolf and Cinderella's prince are the same actor, which is divided out in the film. Yeah, but um, but once I get past that, it's not that much. Um, and I know the major. We can say there's a major death missing. All right. So well, actually, the the one part that bothered me, and and it yeah. bothered me because of 
Well, let me let me let me finish with the Bernadette Peters because yeah. when my uh, my favorite of her her songs is Last Midnight because you can yeah. that her voice just you can hear it drawing the darkness into the scene yeah. and stuff and that but Streep couldn't do Streep could not do that at all. It was a passable, I think very Streep passable. Did a good job. It was not, but it was not Bernadette Peters yeah. to me. Although there were some things in acting where I'm like, oh, yeah, I mean, okay, yeah. you know. But yeah. I, I would also agree with you. I've watched the American Playhouse version. I don't even want to call it. I mean, that's what it was shot for, but it's it's the Broadway show. Yeah. I mean, because it's the original cast. Yep. And I've watched that so many times, and I've listened to the sound, to the cast album so many times that, you know, it is a musical I know. It's like Rocky Horror Picture Show. You do a difference from the movie uh, orchestrations of Rocky Horror, and I'm like, no, it's just it's just not. Who was the, I, Emily Blunt, the, the Baker's Wife character in, in Broadway was, was... Joanna Gleason. Joanna Gleason, yeah. And she's, for, you don't expect... And the by kind the of, way, the line she, that was hers, that actually was Joanna Gleason's I'm was, in the wrong story. I'm in the wrong story. Yeah. Yeah. It's a she great called, line. That she called it all up, up, sometimes she's like, I'm trying to get to this, and all I can think of is, I'm in the wrong story. And he goes... Oh my gosh, that really that's it, you know. And, yeah. and I think we are moving is also uh her line. But, but even you look at Blunt who's younger, a little prettier perhaps, uh although and Gleason has just the sensuality in her uh-huh. in that especially she makes the transformation from the baker's wife and in the that way, still does. Yeah. Just uh <laughs> I, I just saying. The the part that I really don't didn't like and I think it's I think it was purely Disney politic is they didn't do the second reprise to Agony. And I believe the reason why it isn't in there is not that, uh, it, granted, it doesn't move the story along that much more other than you, you get the idea that the princes are, this is not a one-off thing for them. They do, they, they want the chase more than the capture, which is, which comes out clearly in that reprise. But that reprise mentions Snow White. And Sleeping Beauty. Well, there's another okay, and, and I, I will take and it puts further. them in the I next targets. Of these I guys. take it. I'll take it further. Yeah. Okay. Is all right. Here's the spoiler, but it's actually been out there. If you if people know the show, they you know that had been we'd known this for months because Sondheim admitted it. Rapunzel doesn't die. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, and so and there she so kind of wanders off. No, she goes off with her prince. Yeah, I mean they, they no, and they, and and. It doesn't change any of the meaning. Um, it's a loss. I mean, it it, it changes the way that you, that the witch sings. Um, children will will listen. Yeah, you know when she she's singing it to the corpse on the stage show, and then it's more like she's just singing it as she rides off. It's a small price to pay, and a real and 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 when Sondheim said it, it's like everybody knew. It's like I'm sorry. Disney has so much worldwide invested in teaching people who Rapunzel was. That's why Tangled is called Tangled and not Rapunzel, though yeah. it was originally, because they discovered that outside of Germany and America, right. nobody knows who Rapunzel is. And so um, they've made her character exactly. It's the same thing. It's the Disney princess thing. They could take that risk with Cinderella because it was absolutely integral, and they've got their own live-action version of Cinderella yes. coming. That uh, you know, so I I, I think uh, I missed the agony reprise, but I didn't feel. Uh, but I went the way they're telling the story is in a movie on stage. On stage, you need to have it. it, it it's 
it's clear enough because you can get the close-ups, you can do everything, and Chris Pine did a fantastic job as Prince Charming, mm-hmm. that and I, which really impressed me. And I love the way they shot the first shot. Agony. Oh, in the water. Agony. It's like, oh, I've never seen that. I mean, I, I know every line that's coming, and you are and you found something new. And I had just seen a stage production of it, too, just a couple of weeks ago you know, in Beverly Hills. So um, it, you, they showed me something new with that number that I hadn't seen before. Right. And so I was like, great. And, and and when you're doing close-ups and all that, you don't need to have that extra. And because of the of Rapunzel living and enough people are going, well, that prince is sort of close enough to Flynn Rider, although different visually enough, you know. And I get that. Yeah. It doesn't serve any narrative purpose. And in fact, because the other thing is when at the end of the muse, stage musical, when they come on with Snow White and Sleeping Beauty, I mean, Rapunzel's dead. Yeah. So, well, that prince moved on. Yeah. You know, and so it, and, and really on the state, in the American Playhouse, you see Chuck Wagner. I'm going to name check him as much as possible because, you know, unfortunately, when I saw this reunion, Chuck Wagner was in the audience. They called him out, but he was not invited up on stage oh. as Rapunzel's prince. And I thought, I, I don't know why because he's to me so, I mean, yes, I know that prince only has that one song uh, and the reprise, but I would have loved to have seen these guys do it. Yeah. You know, again, so, and uh, but anyway, you know, when he sees that, it's like, you can see the death of Rapunzel is guilt, devastation, and then it's actually, and some people argue, there's, you know, I mean, it's almost a plot flaw that he comes back with Sleeping Beauty because he, he has moved on. Because so you see yeah. that he's in, that he's truly guilt stricken by what happened to Rapunzel. And so, I mean, it, it's a flaw. So, you know, I get yeah. yes. Um, and yet, Into the Woods exists. It's a different Cinderella. It's a different whoever else still kind of carries over from from other Disney franchises. It's This is one where Disney gets it. It was its own universe. Um, it's also uh, the, the fact that they this is a movie. So the cuts didn't bother me. But it's a movie and it's different. From and there's no America. intermission. Yeah. So you don't get the 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 end, which is the Disney ending, almost. That everyone says, "Why doesn't it stop there?" It's like because everything that you set up in the first act happens in the second act. Well, and I've, that's I've, where read, all the, I've read that's reviews where all that I will call outright ignorant, where it's like they should have stopped two thirds the way through. And I'm yeah. Like, yeah, that's Act One, and. But what makes Into the Woods resonant and why people love it is, is because of Act 2. Right. And I think the spirit of Act 2 is still there. I don't cry any point during Act 1. I, oh, I know. I cry I know. No, Act, act two. 2 is devastating. You can't be a parent and not not be and hit in the gut four or five times. The only times. thing I missed, and I went, mm, okay, I can live with it just because I get why it may be overkill is that um, – the like father, like son song, and I can't remember what they actually call it. Running away, let's do it. Yeah. There are lines in that that I hope don't resonate for you, quite honestly. But having lost my father when I was seventeen, um, and then all the concerns I have as a father, you know, those, those echoes is from the t- first time I saw that in what nineteen eighty seven was when the album came out because it was a Broadway show. Mm-hmm. The um, I think it was eighty nine when they released the American Playhouse version. From the moment I saw it, before I ever had kids, I felt the resonance of that number and that and, and that feeling of like, I'm not 
you know, I'm not going to be competent as a dad. And it does, you know, and, and this, the sins of the father passed on. Not, my father's not a sinner as far as I know. Uh, you know, it's just a little, uh, you know, but, but having law that having already felt that loss and understood the baker's a role that really resonates with me. And I hope before I get my hair turns gray, the people can't be fooled that I'm young, you know, or whatever to play. I'd love to be able to play it is. So I missed that number because, um, yeah. When I saw lie so when I saw Chip Zine a month ago, the original guy that played the dad, the father, um, Tom Aldridge, has passed away. Right. So he sang both parts and switched. He had a stool, so he was the dad, oh. and then he would go, and so he was arguing with himself like a ghost of the past, which just destroyed me. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, that was great. So I was like, okay. What does this movie have for me? Because I've just seen a man destroy me by right, giving me right, this number. Right, right, right. And, and if you know the score, it was like he sits there and he has the emo- – it's all internal and they played it on the the soundtrack. You know, it just the – the the oh, no more giants in my lives. You know, but it's all just orchestral. And I'm like, okay, it's there and I get it. You know, because you couldn't do the other thing, which is that the narrator is the father and that's an interesting twist, you know. right. The changes to me were all things that the stage you just couldn't get to stage show. Just like in Chicago, you had to come up with the which Rob Marshall, same director, um, is that he had to come up with the conceit that on on stage everybody can be both these vaudeville characters. And a lot of people don't know this, but only because I'm a nerd. You know, this is about Chicago. Is that every single one of them is both an actual historical person and their their songs are ba- their personalities for the show are based on actual historical vaudeville performers. Okay. So every one of them has an antecedent who was famous as a performer and they are also the people that were actually involved in the murder case. So it, it's kind of, you know, it, it's a weird combination. But if you go to the movie, everything has to be in Roxy's head. Yeah. You know that she has to see and that's why there's one um there's one number that's cut from the movie uh class that Big Mama and and Velma sing that they had to cut because they realized it's the only one she couldn't see. Roxy couldn't have seen. Huh. So she could, you know, and, and so I get Rob oh, Marshall's yeah, yeah. very good at saying there are some things about musicals that just don't translate from the stage to the screen. And a character who is meta outside and narrate, narrating and then we expect him to be, and then we have to accept him as the the absent father just doesn't work. Why you lose the wolf becoming Cinderella's prince? Because I, I honestly, Chris Pine would have made a hell of a better wolf too. Yeah, you would. But I, I think John. I hate to say, but I, think I used to love Johnny Depp. Johnny there's a nice, Depp there's a nice the sim- crap out of me. There's now. a nice symbology there. That, yeah. Would, oh well, yeah. absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And you know, so you, more than the twist of the narrator. You lose some things, but then I read an article about the version the Jim Henson Company wanted to do, and Babalu, Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel wrote the script, and it went. I read this description and went, I would have hated that movie. Uh-huh. I, we dodged a bullet. This had Sondheim's full co- cooperation. The screenplay is by James Lapine, the original writer, director. We had, you know, yeah. w- it would not have gotten better. The only thing that's better is seeing that American Playhouse version, which I'd like to remind you all again, is available on Blu-ray for the first time this month or, or in December. So you can go back and get and that. And streaming on Netflix. Uh, I think it was removed from Netflix. Was I tried it? to show... I was trying to get my daughter to watch it, and I think she has. She did eventually watch it before it disappeared, but I was looking for it. And, of course, it depends on which device I was looking for it on, because yeah. some of the interfaces 
like weirdly enough on Sony Blu-ray players, the interface for Netflix is terrible hmm. on uh, the PS3. It's a great interface. Okay. You know, so anyway, but ultimately I was satisfied with the movie. I, but I agree with you that I'm, if I'm going to be like, oh, I want to watch into the woods, uh, I'm going to go back to that American playhouse version. But, um, yeah. Uh, so we should move on. We should. Uh, what are you looking forward to in 2015? We get to look forward a little bit. I mean, well, there's all the Avengers obvious Age ones. Age of Ultron. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, Hobbit 4. No, sorry. <laughs> oh, no, I slipped into an alternate universe. <laughs> uh, the, what did I just see? Oh, um, when is this coming out? Tomorrowland in May. Yes, that was a, Rick wrote a note for me saying the Tomorrowland trailer, which had been out a while, and I just saw it in the theater. Too I just myself. saw it in the theater yeah. as a lead into um, into the Brad, woods. Brad Bird uh, directed film uh, written by Damon Lindelof. Yeah. So I'm a little scared because uh, it's going to look really cool and then not answer a single <laughs> damn <laughs> question. They're all in heaven. Uh, <laughs> no, Tomorrowland is heaven. I mean, it's interesting. I don't know I, much I liked, about it. I like the little. I, the, you, we saw the same preview. It's the girl getting, the pin. picking yeah, up the pin, yeah. and she. And I really liked. I liked that that conceit. I mean, there. I haven't can't remember another another device that touching it transformed, took you to another place so smoothly. Yeah, and and bopped back and forth, and you know. You, yeah. The the question is, am I asleep in the other realm, or am I? You know, it's it's, it's but the. For a short little for a short little vignette, it totally intrigued me about that movie. Yeah, all, all I can tell so far is because they've been very secretive about it. Um, George Clooney was part of whatever this Tomorrowland collective is, and I've, we've got the clue because they had a social media game for a while around the the last D twenty three. You could scavenger hunt basically, and you were sh- had to show up at bars in L A that Walt used to go to, and. So it does have some kind of connection to, like, it was a secret, like, almost getting getting closer to what Walt Disney really wanted to have happen with Epcot. Mm. Um, and that somehow, I, I, I believe that um, George Clooney was a scientist on that project that was, that's was that been exiled hmm. from Tomorrowland. So that's why you see him with the girl saying, you know, you want to go? Like, she's the way to get, so he can get back in. And Hugh Laurie is, um, I think, possibly the villain who has kind of taken over and um, That's cool. darkened the dis- the turned utopia dystopic. And it's sort of like, yeah, in the 50s they were working on this Tomorrowland initiative and and then you know, trying to make the world a better place and they had to step outside of reality to do it because they were afraid of what was coming. You know, So, interesting. And um, you know those pins are going to be hot. I know. what. I, um, unfortunately, I have not gotten to get down there. Um uh, when I was down watching the End of the Woods thing, I did stop back on the way back up to Disneyland because you know, um, uh, Baymax was uh, having meet and greets, but I got there too late. Yeah, you know? so I was only there for a couple hours. I'm like, I don't really need to ride anything. I just wanted to see what they had, and there was I, I think I did a little Christmas shopping because it's like, yeah, I had to get something for Luke, um, and I get a, be- a better discount on this toy in the park than I do at the Disney store. So. Um, Anyway, it was uh, – so I didn't see if there was any Tomorrowland, so it was too soon. But, I mean, all you need is that pin. Yeah. And, of course, we already know that pins are insane. And not having been a huge pin collector, I don't know if that was already 
a pin design that was around. I've never seen it before. We we Debbie does a little pin collecting. Yeah, We've gone yeah. into the shops yeah. quite a bit and I always created. look. I always look yeah. because I like, well, what if there's is something a little cool? Like I have an Oswald pin because as you know, as you know, I'm pretty obsessed with Oswald as a as a patron saint of my the life. The happy bunny. The lucky rabbit, you son of a... Okay. Anyway, uh, <laughs> it's like, uh, I'm going to put out there, by the way, I was I was doing research because I got some of my old big little books back, um, and I don't have the ones from the 30s and 40s yet, but uh, so I was looking on just kind of like seeing, because Greg Espinosa, the, the artist on Pug, remember what, that yeah, for, yeah. Uh, image? He th- thought he had found a Maverick big little book, and I think I've told you about it. I, have, I was such an obsessed with big little books as a kid that I would have recurring dreams that once I completed the collection, and I still occasionally have this as an adult, I have a recurring dream that I find some from the series that I knew, like the 50s and 60s ones, that uh, I didn't know existed. Uh-huh. Like there was a whole line, you know. So I, so actually, once you put it, I had to this week go back, go online and look to see, did he really find a Maverick one? And he, I think what he actually found was those... Over those big hardback novels that they, uh, that Whitman would put out that were TV related, but the same artists and the same concept, and I don't collect those. But what I did discover is that in the 30s there are two Oswald the Lucky Rabbit big little books that I didn't know existed. A new Grail that quest. We've, we've talked about dime action books still, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that I want to find those Oswalds. They're from Universal, Walter Lance's Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, but it's kind of you know interesting. So anyway, those are the pins I bought. Tomorrowland, I'm looking forward to, and Ant Man, I'm looking forward to, kind of sneaking in there. Um, I'm gonna say just because it's gonna come. I mean, it's open in L.A. already, but I'm just impressed that my we my son and I went to see The Hobbit again last Saturday, and uh, one of the trailers, oddly enough, was for Selma, the Martin oh, Luther yeah. King. Yeah, that looks really good. Okay, but my ten year old son turned to me and said. Will you take me? Nice. And because I'm sitting there going, yeah, man, I'd love it. He also wants to see the theory of everything. And he keeps asking me, is it weird that I want to see the theory of everything? I'm like, no. And if anybody's telling you it's weird that you want to see a movie that's good, but it's not just, it's, it's not, not what you normally, pa- uh, it's not, it's, it's not what you it's would not normally a typical go. happy ending kind of thing. Well, but it's also, it's not a big budget tentpole. Right, right, right. Which is, you know, what a 10 year old is supposed to be interested in. That right. he's actually get gravitating to, he wants to know about the real lives, whether those are accurate portrayals, I don't know, you know, but, but the real lives of these people that change sure. the world. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm, then I'm very much looking forward to Selma. So, you know, I want to give that. Um, and I, you know, I'd, well, there was another one that, oh, and Cinderella, uh, yeah, the Kenneth, Kenneth Branagh directed live action Cinderella coming. I, I don't know if I'm going to be into those. I'm just, uh, I'm just going to let all these movies wash over us as they happen, you know. Uh, so let's move to television then, because that's another, we've got a lot coming up in the very, in the very near future that is just really cool stuff. Uh, did you see they dropped a thunder, new Thunderbirds? trailer i did not see it there's nothing that will do anything other than go here rick fanboy here rick you know it's like it's just the satellite in space and there's voice like you know are you there are you there space station so it's a new series coming in 2015 uh with effects by weta i have not seen if um if it's super marionation or not but it is of note to me that um Rosamund Pike, who is probably going to be up for an Oscar for Gone Girl, is the voice of Lady Penelope. Oh. So we're, you know, again, we're in this age where it's like, oh, you know, people are, um, 
you know, they, of course they grew up loving these things. And so they want to lend their talents to it and then go, but you're up for an Oscar. Um, it's sort of like James Corden there in into the woods where it's like, he's about to become this huge star and he's becoming a talk show host, taking Craig Ferguson's place. Yeah. So, um, uh, which is okay. You got to be on a lot of different things. And I think he's going to be a great talk show host, but like, Oh, we're, we're losing so much, so much movie possibility now. Um, agent Carter is starting Tuesday. Very excited about that. Uh, just to remind people, right. You know, there's a reason to live after new year's and Uh, Christmas. There's a lot of reasons to live because there's going to be next Christmas, despite what the doctor said or what Santa Claus said on the doctor, which we'll talk in a bit. Gallivant for, uh, only four episodes. So I think they cut it short, but it's, uh, Alan Menken written and it's the creator of, uh, the neighbors. Uh, has done this this medieval musical fantasy. I was I was worried about this one until I realized that it was a limited run. It's and the, I love that, and I Do think it. that's fine. I think they could. I was saying, I know I, you do a whole series. A, they're gonna they're gonna run out of energy and, and visions of cop rock dance through our heads. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> but but four four weeks. Oh yeah. When you have Ricky Gervais and Weird Al. Oh yeah. And when I and when I saw Weird Al on the commercial, I went. I had no idea. And now my son's going to want to watch that. Excellent. You know, so uh, looking forward to that. And then they did announce this This one's for, this is Nate Bate, uh, that um, we're going to talk about the Walking Dead spinoff. Kim Dickens, who was in Gone Girl, a little theme there, and has been floating around movies for quite some time, really good actress, uh, is the female lead in the Walking Dead spinoff. So they've actually cast an American. And uh, in, 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 I think they might have cast Americans in the other characters. I just, I, Say so many of the Walking Dead actual cast are British that it's just funny to me. It's uh, always fun to watch the interviews. With yeah, oh, the first time I heard that guy, Rick Grimes, plays Rick, is like, was Andrew Lincoln. It's just like, yeah. well, yeah, you know. So anyway, it's, it's <laughs> like, oh my gosh, yeah. So um, those are the things I'm looking forward to most on television. Can I name check a couple movies we missed? Okay, Kingsman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, Jupiter Ascending looks really good too. It, it could go. It could go the way of so many of the other. I think Jupiter Ascending could be very, very fun. Um, it's coming out in January, so I'm not so sure that I'm looking forward to it. I How think do you kill a film? <laughs> yeah, you watch that. Saturday Night Live. <laughs> yeah. um, that um, and it's been delayed a couple of times. It yeah. was originally supposed to come out last summer, and, and then uh, the studios. Decided it looks to like a 3D ride. Is what it looks like. I think so. I, I think it. I, I would think, go into it with about that level of expectation for it. But you know what? I. It's also it's it's space opera. I mean, that's all. It, and 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 it looks like it has the potential to be completely goofy. Except, um, I look at Channing Tatum as the half dog thing, and I'm like, and already in this trailer is like, I I have come to appreciate Channing Tatum better, but it's like all the things of that are Channing Tatum quirks are all there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and there's, I'm like, I've seen all there is to see in the, about the subtleties of your performance in this one. Um, Chappie? Yeah, Chappie's a little weird. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I liked, uh, District 9. District 9, yeah. yeah. I still haven't seen Elysium, but I like the concept of Chappie. My disappointment with Chappie is I, I fear it might be rated R. Uh-huh. Um, and, and yet it's very clearly a film that children are going to be driven, you know, drawn to. Um, and I understand you got to make an adult drama and you're, and you're allowed to make an adult drama, but I think, uh, but it's, it's being marketed in such a way that it's almost like an ET or it's really, you know what it is. I mean, it's short circuit in South Africa. Uh, you know, so, uh, and that's okay. 
that's okay, but it's still a short circuit. But short circuit was marketed to kids, you know, and, and I think it's hard not to. It's hard to create something unless it's like Ted where you just so over the top from the beginning that people realize there's no way this is appropriate for children. Yeah. You know, that's why you say, we're the creator of Family Guy. And you don't want your kids watching that show, do you? Nope. You know? No. No. No, I don't. But one you can take your kids to. And I'm really surprised at how much I like this franchise. Minions. Minions is brilliant. Yeah. And and I, and I again, I'm not noticed a lot of people pointing this out. But from everything I've seen with Minions... It's like March of the Penguins. All you have to translate, if they keep this up, yeah. is the narrator. Yeah. That's it. It It's a perfect multinational franchise without dumbing down. It's it's like pantomime with sound effect voices. Yes. yes. And I think that's great. And I mean, that's why I don't think the ride at Universal is as popular as they had hoped. Oh. I mean, because the thing is, through the matter, Universe Studios keeps going to the same well. I used to think, like, you know, what's going to happen when everything's got virtual and you've got your 3D? And, and it's like, well, no, you realize that there's only so much you can do with that. And it's not the same as having the actual visceral, the roller coaster. And I used to think those, those virtual experiences were going to take over. I don't I don't know. But we're going to mm. get to a little bit with games. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I, you know. I'm, I just wanted to sneak those in because I No, think, I agree. I'm looking, were... I'm looking forward to Minions, and I, I bought one for the tree. Uh, you know, <laughs> I bought the other one. Did you guys have one? There's somebody I knew had the other one. We didn't have any Minions oh, on the tree. Oh, so somebody I knew had posted a picture of their Minion. I was like, well, I have the other one, you know, uh, of, the, of the two main ones. Right. Um, and then we can talk about Doctor Who last Christmas because we don't have Nate here to be bored. Yeah. Um, that was so satisfying the big on news, so many of levels. Course, is that uh, Clara will be back for another season. Yeah. Um, and I, but I love the way that was. I don't know if this is the way it went down, but the fact that they filmed an ending that was downbeat and sad. And worked. And worked if she had left the show. I don't know if they really planned it that way or if they were just doing a double, a double, double switch on yeah. us because, well, you don't know, is she or isn't she? I would almost love to believe that that's the way they filmed it and then she came back to them and said, I'll I really, stay. I really want to stay. Yeah, I thought about it, and I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, because as an ending, in the ways they've established the rules, you know, and I've said this, I, I, I don't know why he doesn't go back and pick up more companions or whatever, you know, the, the ones people like anyway. Um, but the way that was was like that would it was a much more satisfying and much more dev- potentially devastating emotionally to me ending. Uh, I was almost I call it the it was the call it the Titanic ending because it's like wow. it's like oh Rose went off and she became a pilot and she did all this stuff and there was never anybody to replace. The only flaw in it was that um, she said there was one guy there was one other man but I couldn't have him and and no one could live up to him and it was like oh and then we're back to the romance the potential you know yeah. which I'd rather that they didn't do that unless she was implying back to the Matt Smith version you know. Um, so I like that. Something I haven't seen anybody comment on, and I do like I, I read all the Doctor Who reviews that I of you know like AV Club and Bleeding Cool, and uh, I can't remember there's another one that I that I usually follow and pick up after I've seen it. Is that where Peter Capaldi wakes up? Yeah, where the cra- where the Minecraft. Did, did you notice where it is? I assumed it was Gallifrey. No, because he didn't find Gallifrey. Gallifrey was a lie. No. It's the volcano planet where she took him at the beginning of the finale. Oh, that's right. That's finale, right. That's right. Which may imply that some of that is a dream too, which is a way to bring back the 
girl with the glasses and the and the scarf that everybody was devastated that she got killed by Missy. Interesting. You know, and, and I haven't seen anybody coming. That's the same set, and maybe that was just like, oh, they have the set, they so they the used set, it. So. But it's a great way out. And I, the thing is, Stephen Moffat, things like that are always on purpose somehow. So, yeah, it's not like he couldn't have woken up almost any place. You know, right? But didn't was, have to be an alien specifically planet. Specifically, in the, on the alien planet that she had taken him to, right? Where the, when she was saying, where she bring Danny dropped, back to life. Where the key. Kept so it's almost like everything about Danny. In the Cyberman could be a com- completely a dream, but within that, let's just call, put that episode with where where it is. Santa Claus was brilliant. Nick Frost as Santa Claus was was wonderful, and the way they kept switching back and forth of like, is he real? Is it a dream? Is he real? And the theme of the season uh, of the season is that man and myth. Belden, what's more important is the inspiration. I mean, it's a perfect capper to that message of this first of of Capaldi's first season. Yeah. Which people have not liked Capaldi in it, but I think that's what the what the what the character arc has been. Accept your role as an inspiration. Accept your role as what he eventually right. said. I'm an idiot who's just trying yeah, to. I do don't the have thing. to be the good man. I'm an idiot with a box. But I'm just trying to do the right, right. thing. Yeah. And people will take inspiration. And it's only people who are trying to do the right thing that that worry about whether or not they're good. You notice that, do you? Yeah. Yes, I noticed that a lot. You know, yeah. so um, am I, you know, so we should end this podcast. No, I'm not going to end the podcast. <laughs> Are we good men? No, no, we're just you know, we're just trying to be good. We're just trying. Um, so I really like I I love that, and it's you know it's a thing I believe in in my life, and it's probably why Abigail and the Snowman resonated with me. It's um, I've been having some better conversations, of course, as I don't like to look back, but I still did on you know. Um, my Facebook page and uh, my own, not Fanboy Planets, but it was talking about how, like, you know, a high point of the year was us getting to meet Neil Gaiman. And I just kind of threw that away because it's like I realized I don't want all the friends that I have that don't know who Neil Gaiman is to go, who's that? I'm like, uh, you know, I'm sometimes just throw these entries out to be, I just want to write it and then I want it out there. And if you know, you, you know. And, but I thought, why does Neil Gaiman resonate with me again so much? There's a belief in the fundamental magic of the universe which then if you have you read the multiversity the thunder thunder world adventures yet i have, I have not i'm reading the one just before there's that. a thing where captain marvel is um almost as loss of you know i can't remember if it was captain marvel or shazam the wizard himself who says it is like you can't destroy the magic because magic and science are so tightly bound that science makes the universe work but magic is why it should hmm and that's what I think. And that's when, when the, this last Christmas comes in. Does Santa exist or not? Doesn't matter as someone who, um, you know, uh, certainly loves seeing children believe. And and then I've had to talk with my brother-in-law about that. Of like, you know, well, maybe it's sort of, I, which I realize this is why I like Neil, Neil Gaiman. That belief that if, uh, that there are forces larger than us that are at work, and you might as well call that magic. And... Well, if you believe in Santa Claus, that is as good as real up until the point that you don't. Yeah. And then isn't the world a little sadder when you don't? <laughs> you know, and it's, if only more of us believed. Did you read Ocean at the End of the Lane? I did. Okay. Yeah, I I, I didn't I didn't find it as, I, I enjoyed it very much as I enjoy everything he writes. But uh I think it's pretty fair to say. There's nothing that I don't, you know, that he he's written that I've gone like, well, you missed it on that one. Yeah. Um, I just uh, it felt 
it ta- it spoke to me at this time in my life. Right, and it's a sim- yeah. I mean, I think it's a similar idea, and which I think he believes very deeply as well. You know, is again, I'm just saying, I which is the endless. I mean, the concept of the endless is uh, we call them into being because, mm-hmm. and it's as good as reality because we, that's what the world, how the world needs to work, um, or, or we need that collective. Un- and Jung would agree, right? With the collective unconscious, there are symbols, and 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 then I go to Grant Morrison, who argues, um, you know, kids don't question. Why do we keep needing to know? And I and I've thought about it and gone like, there's a great Mark Maron thing about, you know, who's he says he's not an atheist, he's not a theist. He just goes, I wasn't raised with it, so I don't know the story. But he's like, um, and I will I will mangle his routine horribly. But he says he would rather. He says the only he says he doesn't like he he has his routine about going to the creationist museum, and he walked out and he went. I get it. I actually defend it. One, I'm really proud to be in America where something this completely insane can exist. Because it could only happen in America, you know. Yeah. He says, but also, he says, Christians aren't bad. He says, like, it's when they get together and they gang up on me because I'm Jewish that I'm worried. But if yeah. I have a, if I sit and talk with a, re, with a reasonable Christian, he goes, the only people I don't like is because atheists and, and then vegan atheists are the worst. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, because you can have a conversation for a half an hour with someone who who is a Christian and you have a pretty good conversation. You can have a reasonable conversation. Five minutes with a vegan atheist, you're like, I get it, I get it, I'm murdering animals. You know, it's like, <laughs> I've heard all you have to say. But one of the things he points out about atheism is he's just like, and you're like, and I feel this way a lot where people are arguing about you know, why do people believe we got, you know, and I see this, this is cropping up on Facebook, my Facebook page a lot, both sides, because I have people that are very, know people that are very devout and people that are very adamantly atheists who say, uh, this thing about, you know, 20 reasons why God doesn't exist. And I'm like, okay, I get it. Yeah. But, you know, and Mark Maron's point is that if there's a guy who's going down the, walking down the street and he's depressed and he's like, oh, my wife left, my, I don't have any kids and, you know. At least Jesus loves me. I've got that. And then there's like this attack atheist who jumps out of the bushes and say, hey, it's all bull bleep, you know. And he goes, and he goes, ha, I can hardly wait to go back. I mean, like an atheist missionary is actually doing evil. <laughs> he goes, because really, you go back and you feel good about taking, taking away the own. last bit of hope one guy had. Yeah, even as which uh, actually that's. Which that, is not all atheists. That almost gets the meta that I take away from Neil, Neil Gaiman. You talk about the endless and why they have to exist because uh, yeah. that. But when you take that and in a written form, and you read you read it, you are manifesting those things in the meta of the written form, and that's what's giving you that same thing as if it was magic. But it's magic because it's happening in your head, and that's the brilliance. And when somebody asked me years ago, "Do you believe in ghosts?" and I said, "Yes," and they go, "Why? You are completely." Isn't the world more interesting (laughs) to have questions and? You are to me. You are reducing when you've decided. No, it has to be literally this way. This is what it is. To the side of someone who's very like you know, the, the Bible is the literal word word of God. Right. Not to get too religious, uh, you know, and but to say, I'm sorry. There are several passages in the New Testament where Jesus is basically, if you're not reading him literally, um, saying, "Don't take what I say literal." He literally, he's constantly saying, "I'm speaking metaphor." I'm you know, and. 
So it's like we take a book in which the protagonist, if you want to take it as fiction, and the protagonist is saying, don't take what I say literally. And then they go, no, this is the literal truth. And I'm like, well, then how did you miss that his most key message was? Why aren't you running that loop back and forth and just stay in that (laughs) loop? The key message was – uh, I'm going to get hate mail now. And, and and I'm sorry because I want to take that out. You know, if people do want to email me and battle me on that, uh, you know, and discuss with me rather, I say, I want to have a reasonable discussion. My brother-in-law and I have different views on religion, but we have fantastic, wonderful, open, warm conversations of different we're, – we're just on different points of the spectrum, he and I. I mean, I, you know, I said it before. I believe – I feel a little bad that I was too tired on Christmas Eve. I was like, you know, maybe the first time in a long time I, I should go to midnight mass, you know, um, because I don't know what to, you know, I, I don't know where my guidance is, but I like Pope Francis. Uh, so, you know, uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, let's go to games, shall we? We went from Doctor Who to Neil Gaiman to the to religion and, uh, game into games, game into games. Um, there's a rumor that Nintendo is developing a new console. Right at the point where my children have uh, both have actually almost got me convinced that I need to upgrade to a Wii U. Yeah. Because it's a completely backward compatible. So I realized, oh, click, I don't have to get rid of any of the games that I have. Yeah. But now there are games that my son will bring over. And like, it's got HDMI built, built in, so it's better going to better integrate with and your I've TV. Gotta and build, so. and I've got to build, and I've got to get Super Smash Brothers Brawl so my son and I can play. Yeah. And he's got the Amiibos he wants to bring over. And, you know, and so I'm like, okay. And then I read, and they're about to develop, it looks like they're developing another one. I'm like, no, you finally actually came up with a platform everybody loves. Well, after it's really had a great year. It has had a much better but year than the first year. But after its first year, year sucked. They yes. didn't have anything, and I, I grant that. But I realized... I would love that concept of I can sit in a room and somebody else can watch TV and I can still play the game, you know, or some of them. The 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 appeal of Super Smash Brothers among party players is right. super high, and it's not that I have parties, but I do have children that like playing yeah. those games. And I realized like my daughter got Just Dance, the new Just Dance, and we've always played them all before. And this is the first one I can't play with her because she got the Wii U. So it, it, it's it, she got the Wii U version. I'm like, okay, I guess you know, I may I may need to. And then it's, a, but I don't. I can sell back. I was, it was, that was a realization. I can sell, sell back, back my Wii, Wii, and it won't cost as much. You know. Yeah. So um, anyway, I, but it's interesting that they're developing. So the one thing that I was going to say in in video games, we talk about something that's about to change the world. Is I and as I was already going to write it down, and then I sh- it showed up on a thing that. Uh, uh, Carmack, the guy that created Doom, uh, id Software, who is, uh, I guess, I don't know if he's CEO, but he's, he was instrumental in the development of Oculus Rift. It brought up to me again that I know this is the year, and I don't know if I've really talked that much about it on the podcast, but I certainly in private to people after attending uh, a conference and dem- demoing the Oculus Rift, this is the game changer for 2015. And if Disney would buy Facebook and thus Oculus Rift, they would control us all. Uh, we would be in the Matrix. Uh, that sometime this year, Oculus Rift is supposed to dr- to drop in stores. Commercially available. Commercially available. Whereas previously you had to be a developer signed up to. You didn't have to be. You could buy it if you knew how to develop. It was actually it was based on how many kits had they built. Hmm. So, because uh, I looked into it, we were looking at it for the school of like, what well, could we teach the girls um, to do it? And um, so, yeah, it was. It was just they were sold out when we when we looked in. They just hadn't put them all together. Um, Sony is developing its own 
competing product to go onto the PS4. I don't think it's going to go onto PS3, but uh, to PS4, I don't know if Oculus Rift is going to be compatible with the Wii or the Xbox, or if Nintendo and Microsoft are both planning to develop the, again their own competition. So I'm not sure. This is one of those things where I actually am in favor of open source, uh, which is for APIs what a lot of and, people are. A lot yeah. of people are, and I would agree with that. I, I would rather. Um, but regardless, once it becomes a commercial product, people, this is about to yeah. completely change everything. And there are some games that have already been optimized, and there are people developing films, and I'm a little behind on a project that I've been asked to work on with it, uh, or at least for narrative, but there are people actively developing stuff for it. And one of the games is the Alien, what do they call this one, where you're, 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 it's a survival game against Alien that just came out. Um, that people love it actually not the one that the, not the uh, one that people didn't not the like. colonial marine, marines one right. people hated uh and it, well, i can't remember the name of it because they demoed it i didn't get to see it in the oculus rip but they demoed it at comic-con where it you know you're just trying to survive and if you are actually i can say this much about it. i it's demoed james cameron style alien or are you yeah. an alien trying no, to survive no, you are it? you are surviving on a ship where the aliens killed everybody else got it and so you're trying to find your way to the escape pod mm-hmm. uh and and get away get away from it and it's uh, isolation that's what it's called i think i think it's called alien isolation and it is um a, a creepy enough game but if you are completely locked in uh, my experiences with the with the oculus rift at comic-con in particular and i want to call out a uh, shout out to legendary studios who really always do the best booth out of everybody because they go to this cutting edge they did a pacific rim simulation Mm. which freaked me out i knew it was getting into and i still it freaked me out (laughs) it was like you we climbed in there's a little chair you watch and you go oh there's a chair and they're gonna put headphones on you they put these goggles on you you're gonna be fine and the kit that's gonna come home is like you know it's just it's just a headband you know it'll have little earbuds to go in but they they were doing big to real so you can really shut people out of comic-con because obviously right there's a hundred thousand people walking by a little noisy yeah a little noisy just a little um and you get into this chair, and there's a little game controller. And they said, you know, it's just so that you can kind of move around in it. Um, so you can move yourself physically. Um, you put it on, and you are strapped into the Jaeger. And your partner's on the right. And of course, and the thing with the Oculus is, you know, you turn your head, and it is what it is. And in their little simulation, which will not be commercially available because it's like only a minute and a half, they said, um, you know, they actually gave the instruction, go ahead acclimatize yourself look around i know this could be really disconcerting to to finally be in the pilot's chair or one of these things so you look around and it's like oh i know i'm sitting but my brain just told me i'm 60 feet up in the air looking into the innards of the jaeger and there's the screen so you know what's coming is then they go okay we're going to battle the first test you know do the you know do Do the test your test your fists and move and make sure you can punch and so you have to do that and uh, so it, when I think you had to press the button, but it sh- but it shows, and so it felt. And then then you go, and we're gonna drop, and they drop you into the ocean, and and you're seeing all the splashing on the screen. Oh yes, in front of and you. it's all in front of you, and you're there, and the guy's next to you. He's not reaching out far enough to touch. He's not close enough to touch you, but you see, and you're like, keep together. And then the, there's a kaiju attack, and the kaiju breaks through the, the helmet and grabs your partner. And eats him. And I'm like, oh, okay, that was weird. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that's fine, that's fine. I mean, I mean, you know, it's part of the game. I get it. Or, you know, whatever. And then the kaiju reaches for you. And I was like, 
and I, I think I'd read that this was experienced with the alien isolation. Like there's an article from E3 where a guy says, I know that I'm surrounded by people. I know this is really not happening. And every nerve in my body is going, please, God, don't scream out loud. <laughs> and I'm like, ha, ha, ha. And then this kaiju reaches for me and I am in the seat trying to move it back. And it's rooted. <laughs> I'm going, no, no, no. And it goes, and just as about to touch you, it goes, it's nose over and it goes, you survived to fight another day, and then names the release date of Pacific Rim 2. And I took this off, and I'm like, you completely convinced me I was, the, you know, suddenly I'm back in that chair, but I was completely convinced I was 60 feet up in the air. That 3D has never worked so well because there's nowhere to escape. Right. You, wanna, you can't look away because you're like, well, no, because the environment's still here. It's yes. really coming for me. and it's, it's I see it's, the shadow or I see the lighting change. It, it, it's astounding and then other people had done it so Sleepy Hollow did one I didn't get to write the Sleepy Hollow one um, where they went photorealistic you were in you put it on and they had the covered bridge outside and and then you sit in a station inside the covered bridge and you put it on and uh, and then you're then you're out in the woods and the horseman comes for you so I, I don't know uh, how that was I think I don't know if Nate did it I think Stephanie Rodriguez did, did um, that she that she uh, did it and said it was scary uh, and then uh, uh, Fox did it for X-Men and you put on Cerebro and you had to find Mystique amongst all the Comic Con people but the flaw was in that that every that the characters they were programming any recognizable X-Men were like very video gamey and a little extended whereas Pacific Rim did not do that uh-huh. you never saw a human you see the guys armored up for being in the Jaeger right and so there was no dissonance and this one they did because they went, you know, they showed actual photos of, of people in Cerebro finding, looking for Mystique. But if it was an actual X-Men character, they did it kind of like video gaming. And it was like, eh, this or that. I couldn't give over to it. And the Into the Storm did the same thing. But they put you in a booth where they had fans blowing on you since the storm's supposed to come and the wind. This but, is one of those things that not only does it, it up the game as far as immersive stuff, but it actually ups the game for standard entertainment because if you were to – let's just say you went to go see The Hobbit. The, let's say the first one, right? Right. And you go through and you spend most of your time kind of watching the center of the screen because that's where action is. But then you may, maybe you, you, a couple of times you see, oh, there's something happening over the left or to the right. Right. Or, well, that's, or, or being able to follow one this character. This is the problem different. they're trying to find, find right now. So when I attended this immersive education conference, uh, there's a company that I don't think they're ready to announce. I, I won't name names. But they made a film called Uprising. It's like two minutes. It was with Anton Yelchin and... Um, was the guy? He was the villain in, in Mask of Zorro. Rufus Sewell. Mm. Who's in Dark City? Um, they had cracked the issue of creating a photorealistic environment. So you go and you put it on. You're in a warehouse. The problem that as they're trying to find this new film language is how to control in a movie, as you just pointed out, the director can control where the audience looks. Right. That's what the camera, the purpose, the camera serves. In VR, virtual reality, because that's what we're talking about, people is. You can't control that. You have to image you the can, whole you environment. Can, you can root somebody in place, but you can't control where they're looking. So what they had done to crack it is you're there, and there's a warehouse, and they and they have like about 10 seconds where you can kind of like look out of the window and see the street, and you and, it, and it's photorealistic. It, it, it's definitely the best graphics I've ever seen. Then they had the two actors 
it was about a robot uprising and it was the cop trying to break this robot from you know and and um they had them in a distance and so you could look around you hear them arguing and you look from a distance and go oh okay and then it then they manually moved, moved you, you forward yeah forward and then it was sort of the, but the characters weren't moving they were frozen and when you see them even they've done the tracking which this is happening too disney apparently demoed um they just had a conference in las vegas and um they demoed there that they have i don't think they've made it cheap yet but they have figured out how to break the uncanny valley problem with eyes hmm. so that they can simulate eye movement perfectly so that it doesn't creep people out which has often been the thing like with Zemeckis's you know digital m- capture movies of Beowulf and right. uh, I can't remember, you know the the unfortunately yeah. failed yellow submarine project which would have been awesome um that uh that you know those characters polar were classy express. polar express so in this it was like you had well this is the most realistic i could recognize it feels like it's rufus sewell but the eyes were wrong they look mm-hmm. like waxworks so they were foes they hadn't figured out how to move it now when i talked to the ceo of the company afterwards and we and he and i talked a little bit about that and this is the problem is you know how you can so, so they can root and then they that's how they change the angle but you still are free to look wherever around and people are going to do it especially when it's new it's like you know silent yeah. movie when you're just like oh watching cat's box um you know the people are going to explore that that um i said you know i i'm going to come down again before comic-con could i come by your office and i still have his card somewhere and he said yeah you know i should be ready but it turned out he was out of town we couldn't meet up but he said by then i can tell you what we're really up to and I still don't know what they're really up to, but he's come this close to break to beating it as far as creating photorealistic. Maybe you did make that appointment. Oh no! All this since has been <laughs> oh. Um, this is I'm still in June of 2014, no, or July of 2014. Um, oh, yeah, so six I mean, months and so five they can minutes. do this. But but the things I've seen, I don't remember if I talked about this on, on the podcast at all. But the things I've seen is like the guy that created Medal or one of the chief architects of Medal of Honor. Is a right. prof- is a professor of video game technology at USC, and he's decided to use uh, immersive VR technology for journalism, for advocacy. Okay. So what I saw him do was he takes uh, hotspots. So he took uh, uh, a an, in the moment someone's amateur film of a neighborhood in Syria. I think it was Syria. Uh, where there you're in a marketplace and there's a little girl singing some song and uh, so it was like a YouTube video of somebody's, somebody's journalism and you know so you've got that distance because you're right and you're in the square there okay um, so he's taking he's taking all that he's getting the rights paying off everybody else and then and then buying the rights to them and creating the environment so when you put this on you're in that marketplace and there's a little girl to your left and you're walking around and you can and, and I didn't really know what was going to happen. And then a bomb goes off, and she dies before your eyes. Mm. And there are people running, trying to get away, trying to figure out what's going on. You're in the smoke, and then they went to a camp. The again, the the distancing effect still is that he hadn't broken the photorealistic part. It looks recognizably to me as well. They're sort of video game characters. They're very good characters, but it's still your empathy, perhaps. And I've had people argue this with me as like you know uh, Marshall McLuhan, I think it was, who said that we're going to have these tools that are supposed to increase our empathy, but they actually distance us because we don't if I can be in this neighborhood in Syria, but I'm actually in my easy chair in, in my living room, it's still, there's a layer where it's not, 
you know. But you walk that he he was doing Oculus Rift, but but he's actually created what they call caves, where you walk around and you'd have somebody guide. But he was telling me, you know, as I'm sitting there and I'm using a controller to move, he's like, you realize you're leaning forward. You're leaning backwards. And he'd reach out to hold me up sometimes because my body would shift weight, even though it was an mm-hmm. Xbox controller right. that was moving me. Um, he demoed in 2D. I, so I, I wouldn't have been able to take it. There was a, an illegal immigrant. So for the sake of politics here, I'll say, yes, I understand. He was an illegal immigrant. And some of you may hear this and go... And say that he got what he deserved. We might have a, an agreement to disagree on this, uh, you know. But right. that this was a video from I think it was like six years ago where this guy had snuck back over the border, and there were plenty of there were like I think he said four or five people who shot this, who were on the site and saw this. This guy was attacked by border patrol. Ten ganged up and beat him to death in full view. And you and you realize when you're watching this video, these videos, the sounds you are hearing are real. Are real. And the, the 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 vantage point he showed us was like from an overpass. So, but you can hear the people on the overpass screaming, "Somebody help this man!" And you know, if I I luckily had the distance, if I'd been in there and been one of those people trying to run around and get it, get you. He's gotten the rights, you know, and 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 he says, and there's no no denying, right down to he went through the records, found the photographs, and got the cooperation. You know, he digitized these people's faces, so you yeah. can't pretend that they're not real people. So, I mean, that's that's one extreme. That's the wow, amazing potential of this. But when you go, you know, so we've got movies, we've got gaming will change. Uh, there's this little club of developers that were there, and I wrote, and it was a really cool game. That I thought every kid, every kid who wants to become a driver should do, and every adult who was tempted to ever text should do this. It was um, v, uh, VR racer and um, or text racer, and you're on a track, and you have, and just with the four buttons of the Xbox controller, and it's still very wireframe thing. You're in a race car, and the object of the game is you have you lose points if you don't text back. To the guy who is texting you, but if you pay attention and lose track of where you are on the track, you will wreck your car. Uh huh. So it's a, a very safe way to prove you really can't text, text and drive. And drive. Yeah. You know, um, yes, I, I probably killed myself three times in that game. Um, and I thought, well, that's really good. And then um, there was somebody programmed a, a, a roller coaster. And I'm sitting on a folding chair in the lobby of a building in, oh, let's say it's, it's an academia, so it's a foyer. In the foyer of a building at uh, the Loyola Marymount campus, and I thought I was on a roller coaster. My brain completely convinced that I was. And the track did what I've always wanted a roller coaster to do, which would never work in real life, is the track ends and you go flying and then land perfectly on the on track the on the track, other side. Yeah. I'm like, woohoo! You know? Indi- <laughs> it, Indiana Jones. And it was fun. I mean, yeah. looking around, I'm going, well, I'm really feeling a little bit of that sensation your brain just fills in everything else so uh and somebody created a game called faceball which i thought was funny that only a only a guy would program um that your face is the bat and a pitching machine's in front of you in a 
<laughs> and you have to move your head to, <laughs> to, to hit, hit the ball. The ball. He goes, and there's no points. It just it comes at you and goes, round two, faster, boom. And then it goes, round three, and starts handing in bombs. And, <laughs> you know, but, and so you see explosions in the distance. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's a guy, you know, playing around. But, I mean, the thing is, okay, so I saw that in, a, in an academic setting, and I hope that they offer it again this uh, this year because I, I definitely want to go again and see what what's come up. And there's other things, you know, can talk about where we're headed with that. Oculus Rift is just a small part of where the technology is changing things, but it's going – and I went back to it, to my school and said, okay, we we need to have an honest conversation if a generation hits this year, 2015 – and you have that kind of immersion. What is that going to do to education? We're all we were already talking about how education is one of the least interesting inputs, you know, to most kids right now because uh, everything is coming at them. And you and you, you think about it when you put in that thing, you go, yeah, like the lecture format just isn't going to work for for kids now. What's going to happen in three years? And so it's up to anybody who can help influence education. What's going to happen in three years? When you have kids, and maybe mostly the haves at this point, because I don't know what the price is going to be. That's not a thing sociopolitically. Yeah. When there are people that will have enough money that can actually take a vacation in their living room anytime they want, maybe not in three years, but in five. You and I have had that conversation, and 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 this podcast just got real. Um, you know about like technology changing so fast that you can't even ask that question. What's the classroom right. going to look like in five years? What's our reality going to look like in five years when you can fake it convincingly? And right now we can we can do it by choice, but there's going to be there may be a time when you know it's maybe how. I'm in a job where I do uh, phone calls, conference calls all across the country. What if you create like a second life sort of interface? Well, and- also it gets into the – I mean if you take it back to entertainment, um, there are already uh, instances where we've had actors who have been digitized mm-hmm. and used uh, either post their death like Audrey Hepburn um, and Fred Astaire – um and now mm-hmm. and now uh Kevin Spacey is a character in a video game. Mm-hmm. Um the latest Call of Duty. Yeah. Uh that that type of skinning is necessary for actors to appear in these three-dimensional And I would say this, whether I don't know if you've been watching it and I've been recommending it I, I just finished up uh, the mid up to the mid-season finale of American Horror Story Freak Show. And there are many flashbacks with Jessica Lange. And we're at the point where it's not makeup. They're just digitally making her look like she looked when she was yeah. 25, 30. Right. And that's a TV show. The budget's good enough, at least for that one, you know, mm-hmm. the, for that one actress to make her look that way. Well, the flip side you're going to see is it's not just VR. There's also the rise of 3D printing, which is getting so. And the point is we're at the point where, you know, um, because I can print a Jessica Lang. Um, you and I may be past this point, but if you say, I don't want to look any older than I look right now, uh. you can scan your face. And a guy showed me this at Comic-Con. The, the, the scanner looks like a, almost like a travel iron. And I would just hold it and run around your face. And, and if I look at the plan and go, oh, I didn't like it. Now, I may not have enough knowledge to be the guy at home doing that, but there are people that do. And I look at it and go, oh, that was a perfect scan. Let's try it again. It's easy enough to just do it and hold it and do it and get your and get it. 
than than people the cosmetics industry. You're going to go you go to a plastic surgeon and you say, "Here's the way I used to look." They take a polymer that uh, that is also mixed with uh, maybe some skin cells uh, of your own, so there's no rejection, and you can print out your face and stay looking young mm. until you die. Interesting. I I did see something semi-related to this of uh, a woman with hor- uh, with burn scarring around mm-hmm. her eye, and uh, they were able to get use color pigments and a tattoo artist. To mm-hmm. restore the actual flesh tones in what was originally red and white scarred tissue around her eye. Oh, interesting. So that that the, the kind of it didn't look exactly perfect, but it she just looked tired. Well, and whereas a, before, yeah. and there's a there's an artist in New York who's doing a DNA project with 3D printing, and um, you have to look it up. I, mean, I, I that she what she's picking up is like gum discarded gum on the street and i think it's called the strange faces project oh i have seen this one yeah uh you know to finish up for the listeners because i saw rick's got the dawning awareness i I didn't dream this um you know cigarettes discarded things and she's taking dna from the uh, from that and it can be sequenced and then 3d printed so i think they're plastic faces but they're using flesh tones yeah so she can recreate the face of whoever spit out the gum yeah, and she's put them on walls like, and we trophies. can find those people and call them to task for spitting that gum out. I like it as an art project. I don't think we want to be like, no, you've littered death. I think you just defined my my next superhero project. Uh, oh, that scares <laughs> me, but I mean, you know, that, but that whole concept. I mean, you go to at this point, it's only three staples across the country. But uh, my friend Chris Tung took me over to one uh, in uh, Sherman Oaks that. They'll do mini statues of you. You can make your uh, for seventy dollars. There's stay. actually somebody who was doing that in uh, uh, in uh, Westfield Valley Fair over Christmas. Okay, the okay. Statues about that big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, and I've seen that. that big is about six inches tall. Okay, and they had busts of their employees that did demo, and so it's like it's an overnight thing because the the the, the not the flaw in 3D printing because my God, it's one of those moments again where I like. We are in an age of miracles, and I yeah. go that miracle takes isn't too fast long. enough. It takes too it's long. It's an overnight thing. Those, yeah, those But them. you basically walk into this this octagonal room mm-hmm. there, where there's cameras above and that sweep around around you. And yeah, and image. Gentle Giant was the one at Comic Con that was demoing to be to be able to do that. And there was a face. Uh, the the guy showed me they were actually printing out little castles like you could do that. And I think mm. they were I think they were willing to do, but they didn't have enough equipment to do like everybody. But but the fact that you can go to a Staples when it used to be like there are companies that say, well, we'll put your face on an action figure and it'd be awkward. And Gentle Giant was certainly the best at the scanning, yeah. but still was weird. And now we're not at the weird point. It's like, no, I that's recognizably so-and-so, you know, yeah. whatever. And that, sure, right now it's only three stores, but that's going to increase if that increases in popularity. The price of the printing's coming down. The plat, you know, so... We are this. This may be the, the last time as a podcast. We may just have to be beaming directly into your head from now on in 2015. That's my change for 2016. Um, 
So I think we'll we'll leave at that. Uh, it's been a long, long podcast, and I appreciate uh, your patience through this. There may be things that, that Rick edited out, so it's not as long to you as it was to us. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, we are grateful for this time, and thanks for staying with us. So if you have indeed uh, listened to us on iTunes, tell your friends, please. Review us, rate us, and uh, subscribe to us, because that's how Apple tracks. Are we, are we you know... We'll show up better in search engines, that sort of thing. Same thing with the Stitcher app. And, of course, you can find us at www.fanboyplanet.com, where also, if uh, there's a little Amazon link, if you can't find something that we've talked about on the podcast that you wanted to get and you can't find it at your local uh, mom and pop, your brick-and-mortar store, uh, then please do use the Amazon link on Fanboy Planet because we do get a small kickback if you do. And uh, and, and that helps towards paying hosting, honestly. And uh, which is also if you'd just like to give us with a little of your Christmas money. Um, if you like listening to this and you'd like to support us a little bit, um, you know, we're not we're not PBS, but you know, uh, uh, but still, if you like to support us, there's a PayPal link as well on Fanboy Planet, the website. So uh, we look forward to at any rate having an interaction with you to remind you that of course you have questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, right into Fanboy Planet. Uh, editor at fanboyplanet.com and um, yeah well here it is January 1st so the next time you hear from us I will remain Derek McCaw editor in chief of fanboyplanet.com and I will change to be Rick Brett Snyder who is reminding you to <laughs> use, use your, your powers, powers only for good Thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatlukeski.com. The power of brains compels you. Okay, I think we got this down. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Loosen up, fanboy. Taste the fan. Never mind. It's so lucky. We're hungover and. <laughs> Listen up, fanboy. It's the Fanboy Planet Podcast. Happy New Year. And here's your host for the next 365 days, Derek McCaw. Do I expire? What no, you, you renew. What do you know? You that renew. I don't know. I think I'm on auto renewal. <laughs> you have to.